Genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm based on the book by Nick Jimenez. <laughs> Today, we are continuing our mini-series on the Scream franchise with the sequel that was released less than 12 months after the original film, 1997's Scream 2. And we have a guest joining us to talk about copycat killers, leaked identities, and a psychotic Lori Metcalf, his voice actor and fellow podcaster, Chris O'Connor. Hello, hello, hello. I'm here and ready to pledge to franchiseography. Yeah. <laughs> Give me my letters. <laughs> so Greek. Uh, yes, we're extremely Greek uh, here on franchiseography. Uh, so, yeah, so let's, let's talk about uh, your, your connection with the Scream franchise, Chris. And you can feel free to, to talk about, you know, all the Scream all movies, the movies you want to talk about, cool. the whole thing. We're probably just going to stick to Scream 2, but you yeah, can talk yeah. about the whole franchise. Because I'm not going to be around to talk about the other movies, so I might as well right. talk about the whole franchise in franchiseography. Yeah, so I, I, I requested Scream 2 because this is the one I saw first. This is the one that I have, like, the closest connection to it came out in 97 when i was i think it it came out in the fall like right it came out in december december all right so i was december 12th sophomore in high school i hadn't seen the first movie and i think i i caught it i got i got this on vhs later and uh i bought like the soundtrack and like i would play it like all the time it was one of the first like soundtracks i bought i wasn't a cool kid when it comes to music i had a lot of like uh orchestral themes to like star wars and star trek that i would listen to all the time and then and then every once in a while i'd be like i should i should get that movie like that soundtrack let me get i'll get the scream 2 soundtrack randomly and then also the x-files soundtrack that's a good one yeah so it's an underrated source for like finding new music Mm -hmm. yes it's like this cool little curated playlist that has a vibe and then you're like oh who's this band Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it also like they become these earworms of like tone and like you said, like vibe because you're used to visualizing something with it. And I think it's like, it's like teaching you the ways that you can use music to like change your own mood, you know, versus just like learning all the words and belting them out, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have a disc man, so I couldn't walk around at night, like playing red right hand in my duster. (laughs) But I did think that song to myself a lot walking around at night in my duster. Just like Nick Cave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was great. So Scream 2, you know, I love that one. Uh, I saw Scream, the first one, a little bit later. I saw, I saw the third one in theaters. Um, that came out in, what, 2000? Yeah. Uh, was, that, was that a summer movie or...? I don't know off the top of my head. I haven't started my research. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember whether I start whether I watched that with my high school friends or my college friends because 2000 was you know the end of high school, beginning of college, right? Transition, um, and so that that was good. But then uh, I have not seen Scream Four. 
Um, I'll fix that later. I'll totally watch it before you guys talk about it on the podcast. I promise. Uh, and I'll, I'll tweet about it at Chris O'Connor IV because I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> like I'm not big on horror movies. Like uh, mm-hmm. I'll I'll watch them here and there. Like I'll watch. Uh, you know, like I I've seen a couple of the Hall- you know the first Halloween was good and great on it in its way. And and like I've seen a a couple of those. I will, you know, I've seen some of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, some of Friday the 13th, but it doesn't really, you know, that kind of thing, not really for me. I, you know, like sci-fi horror, a little more my, my angle, like I've seen all the aliens, I like those, those are a little more my speed. But like the slasher stuff, you know, I, I it's not a not a big thing for me, but these movies are just, they're really well done, they're really good, There's a, it's a lot, of, a lot of fun to watch these, uh, they were a lot of, like I think every time I watched them, uh, I mean, apart from just this last week, I watched uh, two of them by myself and once with my wife. But like for the most part, when I watch these movies, I watch them with other people, and it's 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 a lot of fun. And I suppose that's a lot of fun to do with like other bad slasher movies. But I'd rather do it with like a good one. Yeah, Scream is like sort of the horror movie that I watch. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the who done it aspect of this adds a game yeah. to watching it that you know, other slasher films don't necessarily have a lot of them anyway, don't really have, you have it for the first Friday, the 13th and you have it for like, say prom night. But in general, it's like, well, I know that this is one's Jason. I know this one's Michael Myers. I know this is Freddy Krueger. It it takes the game element out of it. And so you have to turn it into like a drinking game and have fun that way, I guess. Yeah. But it's not the same. Like, oh, here we go. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna try and beat the movie to like yeah. figuring out the identity. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes it a very different kind of thing. Yeah. There was a very fun aspect of uh, watching Scream Three the other night. It's like because I was I, like half remembered. I'm like, which one of them did it? It was this <laughs> right. one. No, it, it it couldn't have been this one. He just died. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Dummy. <laughs> now, now, Nick, if I'm not mistaken, you saw a scene from this movie first, is what you told us last week. I did, yeah. I went one night on TV or afternoon. I just found Scream 2 was on TV, and it was the film theory class. And I, like I said last week, I like knew Ghostface, and I knew like what Scream was, but I hadn't watched it. <laughs> and just like the the wit and intelligence and like how all the characters kind of felt really grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Whereas like my kind of novice understanding of horror, especially with slasher movies is that you kind of wanted the characters were supposed to be cardboard mm-hmm. and you weren't supposed to care about them. Mm-hmm. And in this one, like you, you, you do. do. Yeah. And also like, uh, like just listening to you guys, like fans of horror, 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 create such like dedicated rabid fans Mm -hmm. that love these movies even like the really bad ones and yet these scream movies are kind of the only franchise i can think of that really rewards that Mm -hmm. intelligence Mm -hmm. and it's like i don't like little moments like there's a moment where randy is like weren't you stabbed on the other side dewey and he's like it's a severed nerve and i'm like that's such a because like someone could have noticed that watching scream every day in their dorm on tape stabbed in the back yeah that's what i had a lot of fun with watching the sequel is how it felt like it was rewarding people for falling in love with the first movie. Yeah. Well, and and I think that what you said about the characters is really true too because in most slasher films, I think you're right. You're kind of everyone is kind of rooting for or betting on who's going to die first, 
Like, which one of these annoying as shit characters is going to bite it first? And how? And how, you know? And that's kind of what you're betting on, and that's what everybody's having fun with. But with Scream, it's the reverse. It's who's going to survive. That's what you're concerned about. Because you want everyone to, because, like, everyone is a great character. Don't kill Dewey! Yeah. Don't kill Dewey! You don't want to see them die. It's This one, more than any other movie in the series, is this really perfect and really fun combination of slasher and like soap opera Mm -hmm. and hour-long drama almost where you're just as caught up with like don't kill dewey or like what if it's randy oh what are dewey and gales no Derek, no (laughs) and like yeah all this stuff that i i don't you don't find a lot in a lot of other movies like this especially at the time yeah yeah for sure So I've talked about how obsessed I was with the first Scream and how anticipated I was for this, uh, for this sequel. Um, I remember MTV did a lot of coverage for this sequel. Uh, It was all over MTV, much like I talked about with, with Men in Black. It was all over MTV. They were doing kind of like behind the scenes asides on MTV and, you know, all sorts of stuff. It makes sense. Like, wasn't it didn't every lead from Scream 1 just only become a bigger star in like that year. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Dev yeah. Campbell, David Arquette. Oh, Bernie yeah. Fox. Absolutely. So I was highly anticipating this. Now, if I'm remembering correctly, my dad and stepmother, who took me to see the first one uh, because they wanted to see it, <laughs> were not as enamored with that movie as I was. And so when this came out, neither of them had a lot of interest in seeing it. So if I'm not mistaken, this was the very first time that my dad ever bought me a ticket to an R-rated movie and then set me on my way and just let me go see it by myself. Uh, So this might have been the first time that I ever saw a movie. Not the first time I saw a movie by myself. That had already happened, I think, earlier in the year with the um, Star Wars Special Editions. But I, I, you know, I would because I could see movies that I could buy tickets to by myself. But I think this was the first R-rated movie that my dad just bought the ticket for wow. me and then let me watch it by myself. Did that cold open like trip you out as a kid? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I just remember thinking how cool it was because, right, right, right. like, even at this point, I had already been reading so many books about filmmaking and screenwriting because of that first movie, and and to to an extent because of Dawson's Creek, both Kevin Williamson properties. <laughs> I I was already like big filmmaker nerd at this point. At like I you know I would have been. 12. <laughs> oh, so the metatextual aspects of it. Yeah, I just, I loved it. I absolutely loved all that shit and ate it up. And I, I was like, I, I didn't know, you know, the layers at which it was working. I, I just got the sort of like thing where like, oh, they're remaking the opening scene from the first movie, but now it's with Heather Graham from Austin Powers. And, <laughs> uh, you know, all, you know, that's, that's where I was getting together in my head of just like, wow, you can comment on the previous movie. They're yeah. commenting on the previous movie. And it's a little more, and it's a little more Hollywood yeah. than it was with Casey Drew yep. Barrymore. Right. Very right. So. Exactly. So, yeah. So I, I loved this sequel. It absolutely blew me away uh, as a kid. I thought it was amazing. I thought the killer reveal was good. Mostly the one, not the other one as, yeah. as, as a kid, I I've, I've appreciate, I've grown to appreciate Mickey a little bit more now because he's Timothy Oliphant, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, there are a lot of it's issues with Mickey being a, yeah, there's a lot of issues with Mickey being a killer, but I do love seeing Timothy Oliphant play like a complete 
like maniacal psychopath. Yeah. It, it's like that really cool period where like an actor hasn't found his or been given his type yet. Yes. He has, he has yet to get his shield. Right. Yeah. Exactly. His like his droopy gun belt. <laughs> right. So yeah. So I love this. So at the time when this came out, I was going to a magnet school. For those of you who don't know what those are, I was living in Florida and magnet schools were this thing that they started doing where they were like hyper focusing on a like what would be a college elective or college major or something. And you would go, you would get on a bus at like five in the morning and travel three counties over and go to high school or middle school at this other county where it was a school that was like focused. Kind of like in in an area that like they wouldn't have had a lot of budget in their school had it not been for the the magnet program. So it was a way to raise the budgets at schools that had low budgets because of the areas where they were located, Mm -hmm. right? So you know, urban like very very deep urban areas, usually a lot of people of persons of color. Um, So I got into this magnet school, and the magnet school, of course, was for filmmaking. So I was very excited. I, I, I tried out for it after watching that first season of Dawson's Creek and Scream, <laughs> getting really into filmmaking. I was like, Dad, I want to go to film school. And he looked into magnet programs and found one and got me into one. So I started going to this school. And the thing about this school is because you would get up at five in the morning and the bus would take you an hour and a half to school every day, you would arrive really early, like way earlier than any of the other school buses, any of the local school buses. And so me and my friends would walk off campus and we'd go to a convenience store that was I mean, it's not the great best neighborhood. It really, really is not the best neighborhood. And and one of the things that this convenience store had was up front. At the at each cash register, they had bootleg videos of movies that were in theaters. And of course, the week after Scream 2 opened, they had Scream 2. And I bought the shit out of it. And so <laughs> But just once, right? <laughs> yeah. So so Scream 2 is a movie that to this day I have memories of specific things about the bootleg copy that I had. Oh great. Such as uh, a like, moment in the movie where where a guy you could clearly hear a guy lean over to his date and say, "I'm going to go get a refill on this popcorn. Do you want anything?" <laughs> and her saying no, and then him standing up in front of the camera and walking out of the out of the theater, and then coming back later and asking what he missed, and her trying to fill him in. Wow. <laughs> So, so I have like memories like burned in them because I watched this bootleg yeah, yeah, over stuff. and over and over again until I could buy the legit one again, a widescreen copy from Blockbuster because that's that's my that was my move. It's yes. punk rock, man. As a little cinephile, yeah. So, so I only got to see this once in theaters, hmm. um, just that one time, and then every other time I watched it was the bootleg copy until the video came out. Um, <laughs> but I I really really loved it. I thought it was a great sequel. I had the movie poster. I bought the movie poster from Suncoast Video great. before even seeing the movie. I just knew it was going to be great and Glad that uh, had out. that on my wall forever. <laughs> and so, yeah, Scream 2, man. It's, uh, I think it's a really solid sequel. Yeah, I really do. It really is. I have a lot of details about, this, about all of this, Yeah, um, but I think it's a really solid sequel. So let's start with where we left off. Scream opened, mm-hmm. right? December. Presum- yeah, December 20th, 1996. Presumably a huge hit. Only that took a while. So the interesting thing about Scream's box office is it opened on December 20th. The thing that the Weinsteins were thinking were like, this is going to be 
counter-programming. Everyone's going to be out seeing Oscar movies or family movies, but there's everybody who likes horror, there's nothing for them usually. So we're going to try and like hit them with this counter-programming. So it opens December 20th. It opens at number four at the box office, and it makes $6.3 million. Not great. But nothing, nothing to sneer at, you know, especially in 1996 dollars, right? Really not that bad. Um, you know, we weren't at movies making $100 million in a weekend yet. That's yeah. not where we were yeah. at this point. <laughs> then, in an unprecedented move, it's not like it added theaters or anything, right? This was just strictly people saw it opening weekend, talked about it, and then the next weekend, it opened at number five – but it made $9 million. So it actually went up 42%. That never happens. Like the only time that happens is when a movie opens in limited release and then gets a little wider the next week. Gets good buzz, shoots up. Right. But that's, but that's not because more people, more people are seeing it because more people can see it because it's opening in more theaters. Have access to it. Right. More people have access. That was not the case with this. Then the next week it opened at number three with $10 million. So it raised again in its, it's third, third week. Wow. It went up another 10% from its second week gross. Okay. And this, this continued. So we go, we go, uh, so from 10 million and then it makes 7.4, then 7.3, then four, then 4.5, then, uh, 3.5, then 3.2. And it keeps going and going and going. It doesn't get below a million dollars until its 13th week of release. So that's how Scream eventually turns in $103 million domestic. Nice. On a, on a $15 million budget. So pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's so, I mean, it, it feels Win. like like the last time I can even think about something kind of like that happening is a couple of years ago with Knives Out, where it was, it just seemed like it would just stayed and people kept coming back. And it was only because people kept talking about like how good this weird little movie was. I'll be totally honest. Do you know what it reminds you know what it reminds me of? Oh, please. The Greatest Showman. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, for sure. This is this this is Greatest Showman numbers where The Greatest Showman never was number 1 in the box office, mm-hmm. but just made the same amount of money every week for like 3 yeah. months. For the, like 3 months. The drama kids just kept going back. Yeah. Absolutely. They just <laughs> yeah. kept and then event and like is it like yeah, it opened like so like Star Wars and Jumanji. But right. counter programming. Yeah. And then yeah, theater kids hadn't had anything to go watch in a long time. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so this thing had legs and quickly, you know, the wine scenes were like, we're making a sequel and we're gonna get this thing out as fast as possible. And and the reason that they felt so good about this, okay, so there's a there's this, you know, the legend of Kevin Williamson and Scream <laughs> is that everyone knows that he wrote the first Scream in three days. Um, that's a well, well-known fact, right? And we talked about it last week. Now, the rumor that I'd always heard about Scream 2 is that he wrote it in three weeks. Hmm. But that is not true. That is just, that is just a legend that got passed around the around the threes. time. Yeah, the sc- it- screenwriters tell each other over campfire. Exactly, yes. <laughs> Say his name three times. He'll finish your script. I remember reading that somewhere in, you know, all of my just like ravenous mm-hmm. uh, information information searching uh, as this movie was being made. But uh, that's not that is not true. So what happened is that when Kevin turned in the script for Scary Movie, which would eventually become Scream in the back, 
he had treatments, five-page treatments for Scream 2 and Scream 3. And that treatment was then used to write the script in a hurry. Now, he was showrunning <laughs> Dawson's Creek while also writing this script. And so he did. He wrote Scream 2, and he wrote – he was writing it as quickly as possible. There is – the commentary on Scream uh, was recorded – as they were prepping Scream 2 and they were talking about Scream 2 and Kevin was like, yeah, I've got 40 pages done. So <laughs> that's how you know that like they were – it was like a run and gun, right, in terms of like getting this thing out. So they go uh, to make Scream 2. So now there's this other thing that happens. While they are in production on Scream 2, the script gets leaked and the whole thing gets released. Now – if you follow Kevin Williamson at all, he claims that the script that was leaked was a dummy script, mm -hmm. that it was meant to throw people off the tracks and not reveal the real killers. Yeah. I'm sorry, Kevin. I love you, man. I really respect you, but that's bullshit and you know it. Mm. Um, this is – it was the script. And mm -hmm. I, the reason why I know that it was the first draft is because I just read it. And there is no way that this is a dummy draft. Now, I have always – been told that like it's a dummy draft they just changed the ending with a different killer and that got leaked on the internet it wasn't the real killer and this is the one where her boyfriend is the killer again where derek's the killer yeah 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 well i'm gonna get into it a little bit further than that but right. like the the what i'd always heard is that everything was the same and then the ending on stage where they reveal the killer is it's different in this draft there's a draft where it's derek and Haley, and mm -hmm. then there's a draft where it's dewey um, and those no. were dummy scripts. So I, the dump, the Dewey one might be a dummy script. I don't know. I don't know where that one is. I've never, I've never seen that one. David Arquette's never read it. Um, in the version where it's Dewey, do they have a scene where he like starts walking with his limp and then suddenly the limp is fine? <laughs> yeah. The, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Drops the cup. It says ghost face under it. Just goes full usual suspects. <laughs> It would actually be a really great uh, a great call out to another movie with like a major twist. Uh, yeah. 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 But but anyway, so <laughs> I read this version of the script and there is no way that this is a dummy draft because it's completely different. A lot of the grand beats are the same. Mhm. Mm and it feels like this was based on a treatment, a five-page treatment, and this was the draft, and then it got leaked, and he had to start over. And so, But he had to still use the same treatment because yeah. they had all of the sets and locations already set. And so he had to use what they had and rewrite the script from page one. Good work, then. That's what it feels like to me because <laughs> reading this script was really interesting. And I'll be honest, I think it might be better. Oof. Just by a little bit, but it is interesting because the things that get changed are the following. Randy doesn't go to this college. Okay. He is Gail's new cameraman. Joel is one of their friends in college. Um, he is, he's just like one of their, like part of their gang is mm -hmm. Joel, who is the cameraman in the final movie. Yeah. Um, Mickey is not the freaky Tarantino film student. Derek is. Derek okay. is really into filmmaking and is making a thesis film. Mm -hmm. And Haley is really into Greek stuff, but mm -hmm. she's into Greek stuff because her boyfriend, Mickey, is into Greek stuff. Okay. So all the Greek stuff, all of the fraternity, sorority stuff is Haley and Mickey. And uh, Mickey gets strung up for giving her the letters. Mickey sings mm -hmm. to Haley. Not okay. it's not Derek to Sydney. It's Mickey okay. to Haley. And he doesn't sing uh, "I Think I Love You." He sings uh, the Bodyguard song. 
Um, my heart, oh, I will always. I, love. Yeah, and I, I will, will always. Yeah, and yeah. then somebody's just like, really, Whitney? Mm, yeah. <laughs> He's like, and they're just like, Mickey, you can't. You're not Mick. You're not Whitney. You can't do <laughs> no. <laughs> and so it's a completely different script. And like, I'm sorry, but if you're gonna write a dummy version that is meant to be leaked to throw people off. You're not doing a completely different script where all of the characters are in completely different situations. Mm. It doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. Oh, Dewey is a security guard at the campus, which he took the job as a security guard to watch over uh, Sydney because of everything that happened at Woodsboro. And he feels like his sister is gone. He's got a. Yeah. Yeah, his little sister's gone, and so now he considers Sydney his sister, yeah. and so he's already there. It's not like he shows up after the first murders. He's yeah. already there and, like, in protection mode. And there's this great whole storyline where the cops don't take him seriously. They're like, hey, look, I know I know you were there for the last one, but, like, man, leave this up to the professionals. Yeah. Like, go over there, security guard. And then they will, str- they will turn to Gail and be like, Gail, can you help us profile this killer? And Dewey's like, God damn it. <laughs> and it's, like, really great. Like, it's, it's really, really fun and great. And the, the third act element of revealing that Healy and, and Derek are the killers, Derek being this uh, Tarantino kind of filmmaker making his thesis film. Yeah. He's filming the whole thing. He's got a video camera while he's revealing that he's the killer to Sydney and revealing that uh, Haley is the killer. And there's like found footage elements where we're seeing that camera where like Haley pops up behind Sydney and reveals that she's the killer. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of going back and forth between the film and the film within the film. Um, and, and it's, it's really good. There's like a whole thing where they throw shade at Oliver Stone where like Haley's like, uh, yeah, you know, we're kind of like natural born killers. You know, we've got a vibe like that. And he's like, I hate it when you make that comparison. And she's like, he really hates Oliver Stone. He's like, I, ju- I just think that he's pretentious. And like, there's just like a lot of that little bit of banter that I just, I love all of that. And then what's interesting is that Debbie Salt is still in it. She's mm-hmm. still Mrs. Loomis. Okay. She funded them going to college okay. and doing all of this. And then she kills them both ah. um, and, and takes over the way that she does Mickey in this yeah. version. Uh, except that the difference here is that, uh, that there is a fourth killer where Cotton decides to just take it over. He kills Mrs. Loomis and then kills ah. Gail. And then her, he, he and Sydney go through like this chase sequence okay. where they both fall from the catwalk yeah. onto the stage, yeah. and they're just like stabbing each other, and then they both <laughs> pass out, and that's how the movie ends. Um, which is similar to things that happen in, I think, Scream Four. There's a lot of unused stuff in this that mm-hmm. ends up in Scream Four. Okay, that that I think is it's really interesting and proves to me that this is not a dummy script. There's just no way. Mm, So this, this script gets leaked as they are shooting the opening scene. Uh, the, the stuff with Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps. So they're shooting that the script comes out online. Everyone knows who the killers are. And they're like, Kevin, he's like, yes, I'm sure running a television series. He's like, they're like, great. (laughs) You have to rewrite the whole thing because everyone knows who the killers are. And so he has to rewrite the whole script in order of them shooting. So they have a shooting schedule. They send them the shooting schedule. Julie Pleck, who is Wes Craven's assistant at this point, would later become a partner of Kevin Williamson's. They would create the Vampire Diaries together, and okay. et cetera. And she would start that whole empire. 
of the Vampire Diaries and the originals and all of yeah. that. But she is sent by Wes to North Carolina to the set of Dawson's Creek to basically make sure that Kevin is writing pages. And and that it could come in Where any are those fashion. Pages, Kevin? Whether whether Where she's are shaking they? his her fist at him, Where? Uh, yeah, or she's writing it as he's dictating it to her while simultaneously taking care of showrunner stuff. Nice. Um, it was absolute chaos shooting this movie, <laughs> and and the fact that it was put together in the way that it was is kind of a miracle. Yeah. Because yeah, he didn't even write it in order. Um, there are there are scenes, there are deleted scenes, a lot of additional Mickey material. Mm-hmm. Once he realized that he was yeah. going to swap their roles, Derek and, and Mickey, make Mickey the freaky Tarantino film student and make him the killer, yeah. that would then be uh, both Haley and Derek, basically, like combined into a single character. When he decided he was going to do that, he wrote all of these extra scenes to set that up properly. There's an original film class scene. Yeah, that they had that they shot that is just a a, a a talking match between Randy and Mickey, just talking about sequels, about the merits of sequels, yeah. and it's just the two of them. The everyone else in the film class is like they have like a line here or there, but there's no Joshua Jackson sharing the spotlight, and there's no Sarah Michelle Geller. Later they reshoot that to add Sarah Michelle Geller into it, so it doesn't feel like CC comes out of nowhere later. In the movie. And then there was a there's another scene where like Mickey and Haley's relationship is a little more, you know, dug into and he feels like he's a little bit more a part of the group. They ended up cutting that scene. So they added all of these scenes in with more Mickey stuff and then they cut it all out. And the feeling that you get of Mickey just kind of coming out of nowhere as the killer is just an editing choice that they ended up making for pacing reasons. Not because they're not like, pacey reasons. Yes. Uh-huh. Not for pacey reasons, but for pacing reasons. And uh, ultimately, you know, Wes was saying on the commentary, he was like, yeah, I wish we had more Mickey stuff. I wish we could have set this up more, but at the end of the day, pacing is king Yeah, and it was dragging the movie down and we had to exercise those scenes. Um, and as a result, the Mickey reveal does kind of come out of nowhere, but I think it's saved by the Mrs. Loomis. Yes, reveal. very much so. It's, yeah. it's, it's okay that it's okay that he's not given more to do because ultimately he's just a tool. Yes, absolutely. Couple of other things that I I found that I think is uh, that I thought were interesting. A lot of a lot of stuff that we'll get into as we as we go into the movie. But I was wondering last week how Liv Schreiber ended up in this movie Uh, because he was in one scene in Scream and he was an established actor at this point. And I was like, how the hell? Why would he do this? Why? (laughs) Um, Turns out uh, Bob Weinstein is why. Uh, Bob Weinstein called in a favor because yeah. he got him a role in Phantoms. And because Liv Schreiber was the bomb in Phantoms, Bob Weinstein was like, hey, you got a day that you can walk down some steps and not have to remember any lines? And he was like, sure, Bob, whatever you say. And so, uh, so Liv Schreiber shot that scene and then it ended up working out because he ended up in this movie in like a major role as yeah. Cotton Weary. Yeah. But that's how it ended up happening is basically Bob Weinstein pulled some strings and got it going. The other thing that I wanted to mention, I love this. So the propensity of Ghostface, the thing, the little thing that Ghostface does, which is after he stabs someone, he makes eye contact with with the, his next victim and he wipes the blade clean. Yeah, that that thing that he does with the squeaky noise. So that was a continuity mistake in the first film. They shot Ghostface running into room and he had a clean knife, and uh, they were like, "Okay, we got it. It's good." 
And the script supervisor basically came over to Wes and was like, it's not good. We have to do it again. You forgot to put blood on the knife. And he was like, I, I don't, that was the perfect version. We're not going to get a better version of that, yeah. of that scene. He was like, oh, I'll tell you what. And he got the stuntman to come back in as Ghostface. And he's like, let's cover that in blood. Okay, great. Let's just get a shot of him wiping the blade clean. And got it. And then that was it. That was the reason that it's in the in, in all of the screen movies at <laughs> nice, that point. Nice. Which I just, I really love. It's like, yeah. Great. Uh, little, little script continuity thing. And then. Uh, Becomes an iconic part of the movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's amazing. Of this persona that people take on by putting on a $5 mask. The other, the other thing, we talked about their battle with the MPAA last week, uh, the NC-17 rating that they just could not shake. For what? You know what? I'll get into it because turns out Scream 2, they did not have an issue with. And the thing that's funny about Scream 2 is like Wes planned it and he was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to shoot everything in the most gruesome, violent, bloody way possible. So that when they inevitably give us an NC-17, we can pull all of those things out to the, to the degree where we actually want them, mm-hmm. and then we'll get our R rating. And, but if we, if we shoot it just the way we want it, they're going to give us an NC-17 like they did last time. So let's go overboard, and then we can scale it back easily. So they send it to the MPAA. They get an R rating. No, <laughs> no cuts. Um, no cuts. And the reason for this is... It turns out is a matter of philo- what they saw as a matter of philosophy and what we were teaching our kids oh. in the first film. Okay, the reason that they had so many issues with the violence in the movie because they were minors. Um, no, it's because so so there is one scene in particular that really broke uh, Wes's heart to cut. Um, and it was it was the scene where Stu and Billy are stabbing each other. Yeah. You actually see them stabbing each other. It's like this wide shot, and they're just stabbing each other, and then Billy starts stabbing Stu over and over and over oh. again. And in the version that we see, we just hold on Sid's horrified face watching them do it. Yeah. But we don't see them do it. We never see them stab each other. And the reason that got cut back was because of a line that Billy says immediately following all of the stabbing. Sidney says... You psychos have seen one too many movies. And Billy says, no, Sid, movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. The MPA was like, no, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, we can't. None of that. So, but the, the reason that they didn't mind this movie You're talking is because about this movie, this movie's philosophy is that Maybe movies do create psychos. Mickey watched a bunch of movies and became a psychopath. He wants to blame the movies for all of the violence that he's doing. Okay. And the opening scene, they said, was a brilliant takedown of violence in cinema and and the cost of violence of cinema. They loved that this was a movie about copycat killers because they saw it as a warning ah. um, about violence in film. And so that the philosophy change from the previous movie to the killers in this movie, okay. that line made them feel better. Made them feel better. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's it. That's why they got an R rating. Um, and then Wes did eventually actually did cut back on a lot of the violence because that's not the version of the movie he wanted to release. <laughs> and, and so it's just Scream 2 is exactly so, the version of the movie that he wanted released with no edits. So you're telling because, me there are much bloodier versions of this. Oh, yes. Okay. Much, much bloodier. Yes. <laughs> Because I always thought it was weird that there's a scene that they made them cut of, like, Steve's guts falling out of his stomach. 
they force them to cut that out. Mm-hmm. And so his guts are already out of his stomach by the time we see them. But they actively fall out of his wound, his stomach wound, originally. And they made them cut that back. But they have no problem with Derek getting shot in the chest and that rush of blood coming out, which is honestly one of the more horrific wounds i've ever seen in a movie as far as like just a bullet wound yeah i i it's very realistic in a really terrifying way i think yeah so but yeah that's uh (laughs) that's screen two we got they they shot this thing they started shooting this in june yeah and they shot it for three weeks or four weeks uh writing it one scene at a time um (laughs) in the order that they shot it and it still came out, you know, with no issues, December 12th, 1997. A week shy of a year. Crazy. <laughs> it is, yeah. And I think a lot of the – because watching it this time was an interesting experience because I, I, I did find myself having kind of questions about, like, what the movie was about. And I think we had such a rich discussion last week with Scream 1 mm-hmm. that I found myself kind of looking for that same depth in the sequel – and now, just he listening to you, learning all this stuff, it's a, a, an example of like, it's a miracle that it's such a competently made, more than competent, yeah, such yeah. A, a fun ride. Yeah, yeah I, I see Scream 2 as a total wash in terms of quali- quality against Scream. <sighs> Scream has the better script. Scream has the better killer reveal. Scream has like better all, like story, all of that. A lot of more iconic performances, mm-hmm. I would say, because I I love the actress who plays Haley in this, but like I wouldn't say that she's like an iconic character in this movie. Same with a lot of other characters in this. But I think the filmmaking of this, there are sequences in this movie that I think are vastly superior yeah. to a lot of the direction in the first film. And that's just because they had $10 more million to work with. And because a lot of those sequences were made up on the fly by uh, Wes Craven because – Kevin is like, this is the best I can do here. And it would be, <laughs> you're good be at this. Di- Figure it, it out. Be dialogue and like, kind of like something like he dies in the bathroom. <laughs> like it would be that. And then he would have to figure out how Phil dies in the bathroom, yeah. what the scenario is, the whole thing. And it's all through a director's eye, all of it. And so this is much more of a direct collaboration between Kevin Williamson, the writer, the storyteller, and Wes Craven, the director, the storyteller, where the two of them are merging perfectly, I think, in this weird, harmonious thing where, yeah, the script is not as good as the original Scream, but I think that everything Wes brings to this movie is at such a higher level. Tight. Yeah, it's oh my god! I mean, the sound booth scene in yes. general is just <laughs> oh man, it's one of the best sequences really in good. any horror movie, I think. Oh. Um, but yeah, let's let's break it down. Yeah, no, it, it, I was just thinking it's kind of in a class unto its own because I can't think of another movie that I would call a blockbuster slasher movie. Yeah, yeah, nope. absolutely, absolutely. It it gave me the same feeling. When I saw this in theaters and I got to see the characters that I'd spent a year obsessively following, <laughs> watching Scream over and over and over again, yeah. watching them in this brand new scenario, this brand new adventure, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like, it was like, yeah, it was like seeing my friends again. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, you know, that doesn't happen. That feeling only happens with like a select few movies. Yeah. Like a Harry Potter or like Lord of the Rings. 
Sure. A Marvel movie. Sure, you know. sure. Yeah, yeah. A Marvel sequel. But, but a it, slasher? It, yeah, it does not happen right. in Halloween. It does not happen in A no. Nightmare on Elm Street. None of those no, things. No. Definitely right, where, where the characters and the relationships of those characters are an afterthought and disposable. Even in like really fun, entertaining slasher movies that I, I watch multiple times. And Scott, a conversation that you and I have a lot mm-hmm. off mic about this movie as an influence is like, what a big mic drop victory lap this whole opening sequence is. Oh yeah. Of like, yeah, I remember at the time too being really like, Oh, this is cool. Like they're commenting on, it feels like it's like having a conversation with the audience Mm -hmm. in the aftermath of the first movie. Yeah. Like, isn't that crazy? Let's talk about this. And I was like, this is so weird. What's really interesting too, is they didn't know this at the time, but it ends up also being a commentary of all of the copycat slasher films that come after Scream. Like your urban that are legends. Just, that, yeah, your urban legends, your I Know What You Did Last Summers, which Kevin Williamson wrote. Um, and and yeah, it, it's a commentary on those as well, which I think yeah. is, you know, they didn't even know that they were commenting on the fact <laughs> that there would be so many copycats of Scream, yeah. but there were so many copycats of Scream. So many. <laughs> And I, I find that really interesting. Yeah. And so it feels like, you know, like we, I talked about how last week the first scream ended with Sydney in the house getting kind of swept away with the media mm-hmm. capturing the story. And we see the aftermath. This is what they did with it. Yeah, exactly. It's become just like another movie coming out on a weekend that the like, kids are going to go see. And like some people are like, you know, this is based on real stuff, right? We shouldn't be seeing this. Yeah. But like they're still there. They're still going. God. It really happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and we have uh, so I, I'm really curious about what you learned about the the uh, the casting in the cold open. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Omar Epps, who was then in ER. Mm-hmm. First movie was Juice, right? So like a pretty well known guy. I mean, ER was like the most watched show in the world at the right. time, and then we had Jada Pinkett, right? Who was in like Set It Off. So like, was that was this kind of a thing that in the in the wake of Scream, kind of like, hey, there weren't any people of color in this. So, uh, yes, I, that was definitely part of what was going on. Cause yeah, this movie is, I I wouldn't say that this is a diverse cast because Mm -hmm. diverse would suggest more than two races in the, in the movie. And there really are just white people and black people and that's it. There's no Latinos, Mm -hmm. there's no Asian people or anything like that. But But yeah, in a movie where there were like zero black people, now there's just like a couple. Right. There's more than a couple. I mean, there's the two opening. There's Joel. There's Haley. Um, There's quite a guy. He's a guy who helps Sydney with his library computer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That guy. So so I guess like because like like the dialogue. I mean, like you know, it was kind of like they were. Yeah, it is kind of self aware and commenting on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess I was curious: is was that something that had drawn criticism in the wake of the original screen being so popular that Kevin Williamson felt the need to be like. Because it almost felt like a weird meta statement mm-hmm. about like, look, here's some black people in the movie. It was, and it like, was something that Kevin and the casting director really took to heart in test screenings because they did test screenings on Scream and, you know, it was through the roof. But anytime uh, any person of color watched the movie, they were like... I mean, yeah, it's like a bunch of white people like doing stupid shit, you know, and and it's like, I don't I don't. Yeah, I don't really care who dies. And they were treating it more like a regular slasher film Mm. because they didn't see themselves on screen. And so like that to them, it was just uh, the same as and yeah, got to be inclusive. And it's like, okay, we'll kill you, too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But yeah, you're right. They didn't see them on screen. And so they just saw it as any other slasher film, like a Halloween or a Jason or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And, and Leprechaun. while. 
And, and, and I think there was – Wes also felt it to a lesser degree and just told them to take care of it. But you have to understand, Wes had to do Scream. He had just come off of Vampires in Brooklyn or, or vamp, Vampire in Brooklyn, you know, which is an all black cast. And so he was like, oh, my God, what the hell did I do? Um, you know, like I didn't I didn't, you know, try to cast anybody who wasn't white. And, it, and, and I think that he felt guilty and asked that change to happen. And I think Kevin Williamson was like, I'm already on it because, yeah, I feel bad, too. And the casting director kind of blamed herself to a certain extent because she never even thought to ask persons of color to be in that movie. And so now that they're in college, they saw it as the perfect excuse to right that wrong. Widen and, the world up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, go and out, also go call outside of your out. small, rich uh, you know, neighbor, uh, town and right. go off to the big city. Go off to college. Right. Napa, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, it was like in Napa Valley. Yeah. Wine the country. Other, the one thing that I thought was very interesting, and, and I'm sorry, Chris, this is not going to mean anything to you, but this blew me away, uh, uh, Nick, and I think you'll oh. be really into this as well. This scene, so the exterior of this scene was shot at the Rialto in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. So you can just go, we can just go there, which is kind of cool. I nice. love the idea that yeah. I can just go to the Rialto and be like, oh, that's where I the, was wondering the if stabby, you were going to comment on the, that. The mechanical stabby <laughs> guy. That's where. Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, the interior is the Vista on Sunset. Whoa. Yes. The entire interior of this was shot at the Vista. I know friend of the show, Zach Luna, will love to hear that. Yeah. I can't. Now I cannot wait to go to the Vista because I just want to be like, oh, my God. This <laughs> he died in this booth. This is amazing. Does it really have an Egyptian bathroom? Yes. That's yeah, the great. whole place is Egyptian that's themed. Cool. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh yeah, I this is a great I mean like I think Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett both really own the few minutes of screen time that they have. 10 mm-hmm. minutes. And Yeah, oh cool. And it yeah, it feels like an elevation of the first movie in a lot of ways. It's a bigger location. Yeah. It's it's now even elevated in meta. Yeah. Right. It yeah. It's a big public murder. There's a few of those you, in this movie. Yeah, it, you it, know, the it, it definitely murder. like takes that thing. Like you know, it, all the all the murders in Scream. It's like, oh, you know, these people are alone. Oh, they're cut off from other people. It's like, oh, you just got to go find other people. You're gonna be fine. Or you know, like they're at the party. It's like we're fine at the party. Oh, everybody's gone. Now we're in trouble. It's right. like, but I'm in a movie theater. This is perfectly safe. This is great. You know, yeah, this, that's not true. It is. And it's like you, audience, you're in the movie theater. You're perfectly safe. You're gonna right. enjoy watching these people die in the dark. Except you could too. <laughs> yeah, it just like takes away that that safety. Yeah, uh, one of I think one of the most brutal, memorable kills in the whole yeah. franchise is the knife going into the ear. Yes, and that was all thought <sighs> up on the fly. The, yeah. the line in the script is just, you know, Phil goes into the bathroom. Yeah. He doesn't come out. <laughs> like that's that's it. And and it's and, a very and, lucky and stab. Less, like. Yeah, Wes created that whole yeah. scenario the with with the creepy yeah. whispering mommy, and the whole thing. Mommy. I think in retrospect, you go back and you listen to this and you realize that's Laurie Metcalf. <laughs> like you could just hear it, <laughs> you know. But uh, but I do think I do think it is. Uh, I think it is really interesting. It's great. Omar Epps sells it in a really horrifying yeah. way, where it's so, his reaction is so specific. Yeah. There's an aspect in the final movie where you know they start going about the copycat stuff and revealing the copycat stuff later on and i always wondered like how the hell do they find these two like <laughs> like how do they find these two random people at this screening they sent them the tickets uh, where yeah so they sent them the tickets in the original draft but they never go into yeah, that it just says these are free but, you know let's go see this movie right but in the in in that original draft he does say like i don't know i got sent some mm. free tickets like 
And so it's a little bit of a different thing. Like when they're in the police uh, station later and they're figuring out, oh, the names, these are the same pe- you know, these are the same right. names. Somebody had to choose them and I just kind of figured, oh, they were sent the tickets. And that was like, yeah. I don't know, yeah. why am I here? You're right. <laughs> it's just not in the final movie, unfortunately. Her death is is excellent. It's amazing, like right there. His 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 death is also good. Like it's 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 well done. So out of all the murders like that happen in this movie, the first one is the one that just bugs me the most. And it's just that, like, okay, you know that you're getting his attention, and he stabs the knife through the wall. And I'm like, you're really, really lucky you didn't miss. That's the that's the only one where I'm like, that's a stupid choice. Don't do that. <laughs> also, that's hard. Like stabbing a knife through wood into a person's skull. That's a lot. It's probably particle board. But, but yeah. even still, you got a yeah. Lori Metcalf's yeah. working out. This is, I the, guess. This is the, the thinnest part of your skull, at least. But yeah, I love the layers of, yeah. of meta here because the theater is watching a movie based on real life killings and yeah. they're all acting uh, like animals yeah. about it and, and disrespectful. And, and it's like, this person really died. Like you are watching a movie about a person who really died. We and- got to see it. The audience. <laughs> we yes, were there. We got to see You're it. You're mocking right. her death. We, we saw know that she was, we saw Casey die. This is in cool. Right. Right. And then someone else dies in the theater and they don't take it yeah. seriously. And so it's like, they're watching a movie of a real person, di- like a movie Based on real life of a person dying as a real person dies yeah. in front of them. And then we're watching this movie so and it's like, there. there's yeah, just so many. A lot of layers. It's just layers on and, layers and layers. And like it's this, you know, the stab as a movie itself. Like it really, you know, like, uh, did anybody else, if, did you guys seen the Scream TV show? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first two seasons, not the third. When he does the first kill in that first episode, is that the same house that they used in the stab movie? Because it looks like the exact same house. Oh, wow. Like that, that, that exterior shot with all the big glass walls. Mm, that yeah. steamy pool. Yeah, the steamy yeah. pool. It looks like they used right. the same house for the Scream TV show as they did. Well, they the shot that in Malibu, um, which was supposed to be a joke on like <laughs> how, to, how, how Hollywood changes. Right, because even, even in the real Hollywood script. You know, yeah, right, you know. right. Yeah, Casey's house was a bit more like grounded in reality. It seemed like yeah. a nice house out in the country. Yeah, it's a nice house. Uh, kind of out in the country. Yeah, and then this is like, <laughs> it seems to be like on the beach or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one thing I really appreciate is like, yeah, like it, we, we operate in that kind of Kevin Williamson jokey area for a lot of it. But then Jada Pinkett's death mm-hmm. is staged so, it's kind of a pre, it's very Greek. Yeah. It, it's very ceremonial the way that she stands up and makes Accused. and lets out. Yeah, lets yes. out this guttural scream of anguish, yeah. and like it's it it kind of like sobers the movie immediately and sobers all the like the jagoffs yeah. in the audience. All, yeah, all of you people screaming in the audience and cheering and jeering and throwing your your crap around. Yeah, and apparently the MPAA loved it as well. Yep, <laughs> that makes it. sense. And then that that body drop, like <laughs> when she finally she dies, like half a second before her body like drops to the ground. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's one of the best, like, death performances I've, I've ever seen. It's so good. I, you just don't see her in stuff very much, and you forget how good she is. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. so good here. Yeah. And then that, like, brutal smash cut to the, to the title. Yeah. When you just, you hold on her body for, like, a beat, and then boom, scream oh, two. Yeah. With, with the logo, which we didn't get in the first one. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was looking this one up, like, uh, I found uh, on Reddit, somebody had, had pointed out, like, that... Uh, 
you know, I, I was trying to think of, you know, for myself, like violence in theaters themselves, like in a movie that you, you know, you go see a movie in, in the theater and, oh, everybody's dying in the theater. The only thing I could think of was The Blob, which I never really watched because it just freaks me the hell out. Oof, but, yeah. But um, there was a, a movie like from 1980 or 81 called uh, He Knows You're Alone. It was like Tom Hanks's like first movie. He's in it for like four minutes, um, and you know it's like a Halloween sort of like copy. But the movie starts out the exact same way. Like you can watch the the opening on YouTube. It's uh, well, the movie starts on like what you would expect, like uh, a car. You know, young couple in there like making out, and they hear a noise outside, and the guy goes out to investigate. Um, and then when the girl like goes out to investigate, the camera pulls back and you're in a theater and there's two girls there and one of them's like, oh, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go use the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And it's like a lot of very much like the same kind of shots of her, like walking down the steps, going to the bathroom. Like she's in there. She's like in a booth. She she thinks she hears something while she's in the stall. And then she, she like, she like comes back, like she gets out of the bathroom and she comes back to her seat and she's like freaked out. And then the killer like sits down behind her and kills her. When he knows that the kill is going to happen in the movie, uh, and everybody's like, uh, you know, going ah, it was like very similar and kind of interesting. I'm, I don't know if I would want to watch the entire movie, but uh-huh. you know, it was like, oh, that's cool. Huh. I'm a huge, I'm a huge Tom Hanks nerd, so I, I've never seen that movie, but I do happen to know a bit of trivia. Uh, apparently, that was like his first movie, mm-hmm. and his character in the script uh, was supposed to be killed, and young Tom Hanks was just so so gosh darn charming. That they changed the script and it makes it out of the movie alive. So, so that movie, I here here's so funny. That you also know something. About yes. It. Okay. That, cool. So, so this is so funny. So, in the original script that I read, right, where Randy is Gail's cameraman. Yeah. So Gail is on the phone with news people or her editor or whatever, and she's like, "We're gonna. I've, I've got a whole plan for this. I'm gonna use a clip from a movie. Hey, what what was the what was the name of that movie? And then this is Randy's reveal, and he turns around and he says, "This movie." 1980. This is the studio. It was Tom Hanks's first movie. He's like, she was like, yeah, it was Tom Hanks's first movie. I don't know. Get the clip from the movie, and we're gonna put it in the story. Oh, fucking Randy. That's yeah, great. Like that's that, great. So that was that's literally that in the script. <laughs> Even in unused drafts of the movie, Randy knows what's up. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So it's really Whoa. funny that you call that movie out in particular. That's oh, awesome. Good. Yeah. Uh, we get a really cool. I really always love. There's something really cool about the establishing shots of Sydney's college campus. Mm-hmm. So pretty. It's and a beautiful campus. Where is this? What is this? So it's a combination of two colleges, UCLA and then a college in a, a women's college in Atlanta. Mm, so they shot sense. in LA and in Atlanta, and they used both campuses to create mm. the Windsor College campus. What? Just really milk, milking that extra million. And you just see it. It just, it just looks, the it's a beautiful movie. Tall yeah, ceilings. it really, really is. It's gorgeous. We uh, we see uh, Sydney now living that college li- that college dorm life. Yeah, that totally normal college dorm yeah, life. No fluorescent lights to be seen anywhere. 15, <laughs> 15 oh. foot high ceiling, like bay windows. Yeah. So Woo. speaking of reusing, uh, uh, I would bet not a lot of money, but this really looks like Tree's dorm in ha- in the first Happy Death Day movie. Mm, a little bit, yeah, I could see that. Similarly big, yeah. Yeah. So Sydney's kind of, you know, I, I love the moment of kind of showing you that th- her Terminator 2 Linda Hamilton pull up moment yeah. is she gets like a crank ghost face call and she has <laughs> like the machine hooked ID. up and yeah. she knows that it's uh, Corey Gillis. <laughs> right, right. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. 
Shit. Shit. Uh, it's really good. Hope you enjoyed the movie. It's like a low-key great Sydney line. Well, and I love that too because this Sydney is not the Sydney in the first movie. She has grown and matured and gotten from everything that she's gone through, she's become a slightly different character. And it happens again in the third movie, yeah. as we'll talk about. But she is slightly different from the previous film. You can see that growth. And I think that that's really impressive from both the writing standpoint and the sort of subtlety that Nev Campbell is is bringing to her performance oh, of yeah. that growth. That's I think I think so Nev good. Campbell does like fantastic work here. Yes. And like the 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 gift that Wes and Kevin give her of like here's this character that you played in Scream 1 and now you get to take her with you mm-hmm. and she's grown and growing in this movie and like you it's not like a reset the audience is kind of with their being like watching her not be the same person, but then still kind of be the same person. Yeah, right. And we kind of the first, uh, so we meet uh, her roommate, Hallie mm-hmm. and Hallie's like, dude, you got to come to the mixer. And she's, we get the sense that she's been isolating herself, mm-hmm. especially with stab and all the mm-hmm. hype around surrounding stab coming out is that she's been keeping to herself. And Hallie being a good friend is like calling her out on it and, and trying a little bit to push her out of that comfort zone and reenter the world again. It really is unfortunate that the script got leaked because I do think that, you know, the two characters that suffer the most are Mickey and and Hallie. Mm. You know, Derek picks up everything that Mickey dropped on the floor when they swapped them, (laughs) but they didn't give anything back to Mickey. Yeah. And Hallie just sort of becomes vague. The best friend. She's just Yeah, the best friend. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Um, At least she got to be the best friend and she didn't become the sassy best friend. That's true. But the the script is I mean, um, we'll get into her her death scene and the shenanigans that that is. Yeah. In a little bit. Very much so. <sighs> um but yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. I think that she suffered the most, I would say, because at least Mickey does get the third act, yeah. which is like the killer reveal and all that good stuff, but like Hallie has nothing. Yeah. I mean, Hallie's just like, like another Tatum. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's not even as memorable as Tatum, unfortunately. She doesn't like have, like, she, they're kind of giving her, like, there's shades of what may, might have been in this draft of like, oh, she really likes Greek life. Yeah. Uh, she's kind of grabbing college by, with more vigor than Sydney is. Right. But yeah, not nearly enough. You yeah. don't know why they're friends. Like, other, I guess they're just roommates. They're not even friends, right? They're just roommates. That like, that be, it seems to be what the situation is. They're roommates. That yeah. would have to be so frustrating for the actor. Like, if you get the job expecting that, you know, you're going to get to be the killer well, at the end. thankfully, they kn- they didn't know that. Mm. Oh, um, none of them knew that that was going to oh, be the case. They were able to keep him in the dark? They were all taking these jobs blind because everyone wanted to be in Scream 2 because of how good Scream was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the movie Scream was still in theaters as they were casting <laughs> Scream 2. There was no script. There were just characters. Nice, nice. And so they were just casting characters for chemistry and talent, and that's it. And so they had no idea who they were playing until they showed up on set and got, you know, their sides that day. So Uh, picking up the motif of uh, uh, exposition and story being delivered via news, Mm -hmm. we learned that in the wake of Gail Weathers publishing her book about the Woodsboro murders, Cotton Weary has been exonerated and is now on uh, whatever the Scream equivalent of Inside Edition is, Complete Edition. With host Kevin Williams. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's cool. So Kevin Kevin Williamson got his cameo in in mm-hmm. this one. And then in the middle of a conversation between Hallie and Sydney, uh, another uh, girl in their dorm or building is like, "You guys check the news," and it's about um, Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett being murdered at the yeah. stab sneak preview. Phil and Marine. 
Mm, Phil and Maureen. Yeah, great. Maureen. That's right. Oh, because of the name. Yeah, right. (laughs) Which we'll find out later. And then we cut to the film theory class that we've already talked about. So was Joshua Jackson just hanging out? Yeah, um, Joshua Jackson just was like, hey, Kev. I want to be in Scream 2. Um, and he's like, you're on my show. You can't be in Scream 2. And, and he was like, he was like, yeah, no, no, I know. I just want to be in a scene. Can I be in a scene? And they're like, yeah, sure. You got the weekend off. Like, just give half of Mickey's lines to, to Joshua Jackson. Oh, God. Yeah, that's man. all they did. All oh, got no. tossed around, man. I'll show, you, I'll show you the deleted scene after we're done, Nick. It's a bummer because the deleted scene is basically the same scene. Except Mickey has all of Joshua Jackson's lines. We were talking about Hallie and how, you know, like the actress playing Hallie is like really great mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of the same thing with Mickey. But Mickey to me in this version of the movie feels like Billy plus Randy. He, he feels like an amalgamation of characters we've already seen and explored. He doesn't yeah. feel like he's adding anything new to this stable of characters. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But I love this film scene. I think I think Geller's great. I think the film teacher's great. I think Jamie Kennedy is somehow not annoying, just doing a bunch of impressions. Geller had already shot her death scene okay. and was not expected to be coming back. And they called her up and they were like, hey, we need you back. And she's like, I, I can't. I'm moving. And they're like, we'll pay to have people move you. You will, you will leave Come down here, shoot this scene, and when you come back, you will be able, you will already be moved into your new house. Like, and she was like, okay. So she came down and shot the film scene and then went back up and, uh, and you know, kept filming Buffy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like there's so many little moments of this that I can. It's weird because I'm quoting, I'm like doing an impression of Jamie Kennedy doing an impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah. Sarah Connor. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That being said, I think the the moment where like, what would you do, Randy, if you were Kevin Williamson? And he was like, I'd let the geek get the girl, like right in front of Sydney. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So weird. And from and yeah, every one of their interactions from there on out, he's just like hamming at the camera, like rolling his eyes, like gasping, just like mm, grimacing. It's it's obvious and kind of painful. So I like Jamie Kennedy a lot in this movie. Sure, yeah. I think he yeah. does a lot of really cool stuff with this character. They yeah. he darkens him up a little. It was his idea to give him the little artsy goatee because he was like, yeah, yeah he's like taking yeah. himself more seriously. And so he like grows this little goatee and the the whole thing. In the original draft, when he's working as as Gail's cameraman, yeah. the thing that I find really interesting is that he is wrecked. Like he is fucked up mm. in this script. Like the events of the first scream fucked him up and so he's doing this but it's like he he was like i i couldn't do film school like all i ever dreamed about was going to film school and now like i just after everything that happened i just can't i can't bring myself to think about movies and and all this shit anymore and he still has all these facts yeah, he rolling, knows all the rattling around in his brain yeah but like he's not Happy funny about it. Yeah, he's not funny Randy anymore. He is, he got fucked up in that last movie. And the scene that we'll get to where G- Gail reunites um, Sydney with yeah. Cotton against her will, he's there and he's the cameraman mm. and he feels awful. Yeah. And when he, he, uh, he, he like feels awful and they go and they talk about it and that's when he like, like expresses all these feelings and he's like, I'm so sorry, Sid. I really fucked up. I'm really sorry. Like, I just, I don't know what my life is. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm a cameraman for, for, you know, Gail, Gail Weathers, <laughs> like this whole thing. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, 
I, I just don't know what to do with my life anymore. And so later, when he gets killed, it's this moment of him taking the, the phone away and just being like, find him. Because he wants to redeem himself for what he did to Sydney. Oh, that moment. Of, in that moment. Mm. And so when he gets killed, it's almost like... I don't want to say it's like a redemption moment mm-hmm. quite because it, it's not a victim. As, it's not as senseless. It's not as senseless. And tragic. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a little bit more. It's still tragic, but it's not senseless. Kind of poetic tragic. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so I, I do feel like it's yeah. it's a better move and it's a more interesting thing to do with Randy than just as fun as this is. Yeah. To of be like the same guy. Let me tell you the rules of sequels. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. I to repeat what wrong, I did before. But- yeah, there was yeah. this. Uh, there's this really cool moment, and maybe this is me just like reading too much or whatever. But I, I wrote it down of like they're talking about the the killings at first. They're talking about like, well, what? Because Cece has the opinion of like, well, I don't think we should art should influence people or like we should hold art responsible. Does, yeah. yeah, for what people do and like violence in the media, and it cuts to Randy, and Randy's like, like you said, Scott, he's like, look, I used to be able to have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree with CeCe, it's all bullshit. Right. And he uses goofy film-quoting Randy to deflect and get people to talk about our sequels better than the originals, right. to, to get them to stop talking about the real violence that happened. Right. And so in these early scenes, watching the way that Sydney and Randy and later Dewey are recovering from their trauma and reacting to the trauma. I just thought was really interesting. Yeah. In general, I feel like I I think that's really good, but I wish there was more of that. Totally. I wish there was more of Dewey talking about how he had a sister and now he doesn't and it's tearing him up inside. That's why I like the reaction to him becoming a security guard at Windsor College because it feels reactive to the death of Tatum, yeah. to the situation that happened before, where it's like, I lost my sister, I'm not losing you too because you're the closest yes. thing I have to yeah. a sister and you're the closest person I have in my life to my dead sister. Yeah. You know? And, and it just, that it, connection yeah. feels so much stronger. And like you feel that, especially like watching the movies like back to back, you kind of feel that in their interactions, but at no point in the movie does she, does his sister get mentioned, Right. Right, right, yeah. yeah. The yeah. way, like, no one, no one ever never says Tatum's name. Right. I but, like the way they dealt with the trauma of the first movie in that original script mm. more than I did here because I think he was able to write it as a whole originally, whereas here he's writing it scene by scene and just holding on for dear life and yeah. hoping that the movie on the other end of this turns into something. I mean, it would have been a good one I mean, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that said, this movie still deals with the character's trauma better than almost any. That's true. Sequel. Even tries to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, we meet. So speaking of, uh, uh, we, we meet uh, Sydney's rebound guy, Derek, the handsomest Derek. Derek. I, I love that she Jerry just went O'Connell. for like, what's the opposite of Billy? <laughs> I want someone safe and boring and nice. Tucks his shirt in. Mm. Corn fed. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I kind of love the, the shade thrown at Randy in the original script <laughs> in Derek just basically being a hot Randy. Oh, that's <laughs> like, I, I think that's really oh, funny, too. No. Kind of like a proto-Seth Cohen. Yeah. Aww, yeah, that's totally. Terrible. I think that's really That funny. would make it a little uh, worse. <laughs> yeah. And then it turns out he's the killer. That would also make it worse. Right, yeah. And we meet Gail Weathers, who arrives at the scene, and we meet the uh, Gail's cameraman in this version of the movie, Joel, one of my favorite new additions to the cast. Smart I really like guy. Joel. Joel's great. I really love what the movie does with Joel. Mm-hmm. He's just he's just like a fun guy. I like how he's he's smart. He's learn he's he kind of he's adapting to the situation as he learns about it. I don't know. Yeah. No, Joel's great. Reading I, the book I love on his Joel. break. 
he right. he improvised a lot of his character stuff. The uh, so so the actress who plays Haley um, or Hallie, she improvised like, "Did you get that on film?" And then he improvised mocking her, going, "Did you get that on film?" And she was so mad at him because she was like, "I did a thing, and then you stole the thing, and your thing is better as a result of my thing." And she was so upset. Oh, man. Yeah, it was really, it's really, really funny. It, you forget that that's the only time those two characters interact because it's such a cool little moment. Yeah, yeah, totally. He's the one who made the decision that Joel would leave. He was like, Wes, look, I know I'm in like two more scenes and then the last scene. But oh, that's like, great. But like my my guy, he wouldn't stick around for this. Like there's no <laughs> way I would stick around after someone was murdered not in my camera yeah, van. Like it. it wouldn't happen. So like I, I, I wouldn't be here. And Wes was like, well, what would you do? He was like, I'd get a taxi. He's like, you'd get a taxi? And he was like, all right, can, can we get a taxi? Can somebody get a taxi? And then he like, he like called up Kevin, had him write the dialogue real quick. And then they shot the scene of him just getting the hell out of there. Nice. And I, I love that the movie lets him get away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a in a in a movie like this that is meaner and more violent and bloodier, I I love every time that they they let a smart character just like see the danger and survive it. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of danger, <laughs> uh Lori Lori, uh, I spoiled myself. Uh, uh, uh Gail Weathers meets Debbie Salt, yeah. quote, played by Lori Metcalf. Yeah. Who's having a lot of fun. Lori Metcalf who should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this movie. And I think should have won. Because I was looking at the Supporting Actress category yeah. from that year. The huh. winner is Kim Basinger for L.A. Confidential. Doesn't hold a candle I, to, to, to well, Laurie Metcalf in this movie. I mean, that Never said, how many, how many horror movies get Oscar noms in the first place? Well, Silence of the Lambs won Best Picture. All right, so. all right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a great... It, it's kind of the most rewarding performance to rewatch the movie oh, man. is yeah. seeing how much fun Mrs. Loomis is having playing yeah. this character, Debbie Salt. Like uh-huh. needling in the background, like looking for her moments. Yeah, And, and Lori Metcalf, she's fresh off of Roseanne's ending. Like Roseanne just ended and then she gets mm. this part. So she's like raring to go like i'm not in sitcom land anymore <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna act the shit out of this it's gonna be great um and she's god she's so good yeah. good and we get a uh, big big old press conference led by uh david arquette's dad yep okay great you betcha yeah All yeah right, the arquettes that's yeah, really good with uh sydney and her new friends kind of like overlooking watching all of it yeah then uh, we meet some of my favorite new characters, oh, the Delta Lambdas, <laughs> uh, including Murphy, played by uh, Portia de Rossi. Sydney. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Rebecca Gayhart. Yeah. 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 The amazing hair. Sarah yeah. Michelle Geller was in the original scene of this, and then they had to reshoot it. Yeah. Because they had already shot stuff from that original script. Yeah. So, oh, so they had to reshoot those scenes to reflect the new versions of the characters and the way the story was going. Um, and, and Sarah Michelle Geller wasn't uh, available anymore, but she I was like, originally part of that, that, that team. I kind of, yeah, I kind of like that. CC's like, and she's, she's a frat, not. she's a sorority sister, but she's not, she's James. Yeah. She, she didn't, she, she didn't get like, she doesn't get painted with that brush. The audience never sees her as one of the, you know, the ditzes. Like she gets to be in class and gets to be in part of the conversation. And then she gets right. to be the sober sister. So she's, you know, at no point is is it just like the movie is killing the sorority girl exactly yeah and then we get one uh, I uh, we meet Deputy Dewey 
And one of my favorite pieces of music yep. in a yeah. horror movie. That little his get badass guitar string. Yeah. Dum, dum, so dum, dum. so the, the composer of this film and all of the Scream films is Marco Beltrami. Great. Uh, Marco Beltrami, and I might be pronouncing that wrong. I believe he's Italian, but I'm not. I'm not. I, Bel- Beltrami? Bel- Bel- I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's probably close. Um, so they didn't know who they were going to get for the composer for the mm-hmm. first film, and Wes Craven turned to his assistant, and and old uh, Julie Pleck just started asking around, and was like, "Do you know any up and coming like cheap what? composers?" Yeah, was this like his first one, like Scream? Scream was. Yeah, um, he had done he had done some other like super super indies, mm. but uh, Scream was his first like wide release kind of composition and then well he did the score for this one but they tempt the movie before handing it off to him with a lot of different scores some of his some of his score from the first film yeah. and then also some other things and they decided they wanted a dewey hero theme and so what they did was they took a sequence of score from broken arrow which was <laughs> uh, scored by hans zimmer and yeah. used it in the dewey temp and when Marco scored the whole movie, he came up with a Dewey theme and they didn't like it. And Aww. so they ended up licensing Dewey's theme from the Bo- Broken Arrow score from Hans Zimmer. So that is actually Hans Zimmer doing the Dewey theme. All right. Down, 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 down. That's from Broken Arrow. Yeah. So that's why I love it so much. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's Hans Zimmer. Which there are four of those. Kind of right? an okay yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Not the not the only time another composer would do a different piece in this movie. Yeah. We'll get there oh, we'll cool. Get there. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the conversation between Dewey and Sydney. It, it's a conversation between two survivors who really care about one yeah. another. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it's a big shame that Tatum isn't like referenced explicitly yeah. or you know stated. But like David Arquette, like you feel that in just every interaction and line that he has at Sydney is like, that's what he's saying is like, yeah. you're the closest thing that I have to a sister now. I'm yeah. going to do whatever really, I can to protect you. It's a very good vibe. Very, very good mm-hmm. protective. Like his motivation is, is excellent. I love David Arquette's limp. I think it's really, really good. I like the way that his fingers don't hold themselves properly. They're like, om- they're, it's, they're almost clawed yeah, sort of, kind of like, as he's like limping holding- because he, he can't read. He can't stretch his fingers out all the way because of the nerve in his back yeah. that's been severed. But then, as you go along in the later screen movies, it gets better because he's obviously been going physical to physical therapy. therapy. Yeah. You know, but he still has a limp in the third one, and then I think it's almost completely gone by the fourth one. And it's and that's like you know fifteen years yeah. later or yeah. whatever. So it's it's really cool the, that evolution of this wound <laughs> that he got in the first. Yeah, the like they never they never put a point on it. I mean, Randy does later, but it's something that you just see him doing yeah. in his opening scenes, and the viewers are like, "Oh, it it mattered that he got stabbed." Yeah. The movie didn't forget about that. Which, yeah, it stays with the character. Which again is right. another thing that doesn't typically carry over from you know even the people who do survive in other horror movies. Like if they had right. you know they go through windows or fall off buildings or you know any number of horrible things that happen to them, and somehow they make it into the sequel, they're fine. Yeah, they start back with 100% health. Yep. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. To the point where like Respawn. a movie ends and like John Wick falls off a building and you're like, I don't even, am I supposed to be worried about him? <laughs> right. and, like, and the next movie will start 30 minutes after that happened. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that hurt. Yeah. And yeah, like it's really cool. It sticks to the soul of a movie that really treated two young men stabbing each other with a lot of weight and seriousness. Right. And so it's cool that that 
care. We'll talk about what happens to Dewey at the end of this movie. Right, right. But but yeah, why 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 start now? Uh, and then we get that really great, gross, uncomfortable staged confrontation between uh, Cotton and Sydney, staged yeah. by Gale. It's really good. It's really interesting that they kept Gale in this mode in this movie, just like desperate to write a sequel because it's only been a year. Mm-hmm. So she's still getting plenty of residual from yeah. that first book. She, I don't, she yeah. won the first movie. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why she's still in this mode yeah. in the original script. She doesn't have she's to. She's only, not as hungry. No, not at all. Yeah. And, and the only reason that she's dipping back into this mode is because the studio was pressuring her and her, you know, not, she's not a journalist anymore. Yeah, she's, she is the news. Yeah. She's doing this independently in the, the, the original draft. And when she sees Sydney, Sydney's being accosted by the, the, the journalist when she's walking out of her dorm. Yeah. And one of them says something really nasty yeah. to her and like basically asks her, like, are you the killer? Did you do this? Mm-hmm. How, or did you finally break? Oh. And then... And then she goes to ball up her fist, and then someone else decks the the girl, and it's Gail. Gail decks the journalist, That's and then nice. she was. They're like, "Oh, hey, Gail," and they're like happy to see each other because they're like friendly now because Aww. they survived this horrible thing in the previous movie. In an alternate universe, that's a nice moment. Yeah, what I like about her in this movie, and what I like watching it, what I appreciated before knowing about the other drafts and stuff, yeah, is like. Like nothing that happened to Gail in the first movie would tell her that she needs to change, right? So that's true. So it's like because she won. Yeah, yeah, I got. I guess so. Now I just keep going, but it's but it's like it doesn't fill her the way that like relationships or growing as a person would. So she's like a shark, right? And she's like, I have to keep going. Yeah, yeah. I guess I just I I don't like the total reset of her character each time. Like especially from the second to the third movie, I think is absurd. We'll go. Yeah. Um, We'll get there. (laughs) But that's why I really like her in the fourth movie, like a lot Hmm. because it's not a total reset. It's like, Oh, a lot has happened to her in the 11 years since we've seen her last. Right. right. Um, And I think that's really interesting. And then she gets punched again, but it was more of a slap. Yeah. Yeah. This one was, this one was more of a backhand. Yeah. Backhand slap. And, uh, and then we, uh, cut to the mixer. We get some Dave Matthews band. Oh yeah. That is Dave Matthews band. That's right. It's great. Yeah. You, don't, you don't hear that anymore. Matthew Lillard's in the background. Oh, really? Yeah. Because he was dating Nev Campbell at the time, and so he was on set. He had blonde hair, bleached blonde hair, okay. so he wasn't recognizable. So they just threw him in the background, and immediately people <laughs> recognized him. Uh, and Scream fans were like, wait, Stu's alive. Oh, no. And so there were people, oh, there were people no. who thought Stu was going to be the killer, oh, the secret God. killer of this, oh. that he survived the TV being thrown on him in the last movie. Um, and, and he's that, stalking. Have you ever tried to break one of those TVs? No, I have not. No, I have to Mark Wahlberg and would, Ted, and he's okay. Yeah, well, I I have. Like, we got to break one. Like in the in the tech department in high school, we were like, ah, let's get rid of this TV. We threw it in like the in the dumpster, and we were like throwing bricks at it for thirty minutes before it actually broke. You put, you drop a TV on somebody's face, it's not going to break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, is that even more brutal. I think it is. Yeah, I think that's well. It would just really hurt, and then kind of rest to the side. Wouldn't oh kill yeah, I guess okay. that's true. It didn't. It's not like it fell from a height. Yeah, it was like three really? feet. It was like two feet off the ground. Tops yeah, falls on yeah. his face. It would have just broken his nose and then just been there. Anyway, scream one. But meanwhile, Cece is what the sober sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And she gets a call. And you know, this sequence grew on me. At, at first, I was watching it because it'd been a long time since I saw this movie. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's kind of just the Casey scene again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't immediately get 
this kind of feels like a lateral move. But then as it ratchets up, I kind of saw the graduation and like how it is because it's a bigger house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like when the other sister is like talking to Donnie. her. So you think Donnie, yeah. So you think you're safe, but then you see Ghostface, and I was like, oh whoa, yeah, that's reckless. I like how like, yeah. reckless and ballsy Mickey Ghostface is. Yeah. So there's a Very there's a fun reckless. cameo here. The person that she's talking to on the phone, not Ghostface, but yeah. the other person, the the girl, yeah. her friend, um, that is Selma Blair. <laughs> Doing a doing a call in, nice. Uh, and and nineties cast of all time. Yeah, yeah. Selma Blair is. So uh, we're gonna do Cruel ready, Intentions, ready right? Right. Next summer, let's go. Yeah, man. Selma Blair would have wrecked in this series. <laughs> oh man, still would. Yeah, she still would. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, she would have been. God, who would she be really good as? Ugh. I don't even. Oh, she would have. I, mean, I would never ever sub out Parker Posey in my life. But it, if Parker Posey was busy, I think she would have also really played that That's character. That's true. She would have been really good there. She also would have been really good as uh, the the actress that uh, Emily Mortimer plays. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's great too. Yeah, yeah. Yes. she was really good. Oh, she would have been good at that. Yeah. I don't hate Very all the similar vibes, listeners. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll get there. And like you know, maybe this is just me being a huge Buffy fan, but like I always like really love the few minutes of CC that we get. Yeah, she feels like a really fleshed out yeah, character. Yeah, that was that was very much uh, a feeling for me too. Like I, yeah, at the time when this came out, and like, but I had just gotten into Buffy. Like at, at around the same time, I was able to get my hands on this on VHS, and it was just ah, this is a great scene. Mm. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar's really good. Yeah. And it made me feel and bad. I, it's like she gets to fight back. She's, you know, she's like, ah, oh, it's like, oh, you're making some good choices. Ah, uh, no. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> no. <laughs> we, cut ba- we cut back to the mixer. And this was, they took this long into the movie to be like, oh, Mickey and, uh, and Hallie are dating. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't know if they're dating, dating, or if they're just sort of like talking. Ta- well, like if he's yeah, like flirting, kinda, trying, yeah, flirting with her, flirting, yeah. trying. My fr- my friends, girlfriends, roommate, you know. Yeah, right, right, right. Same friend group, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, they find Cece's body. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was thrown off the roof. Mm-hmm. And um, have you guys seen the greatest film extra in the history no. of motion pictures? I don't think I have. <laughs> no, I don't know. Okay. Listeners, uh, this was, this is, I did not find this. This was like a, a gif that were gif that was going around Twitter. Oh, the dog? Weeks. No, no, the man. Oh, oh okay. uh, There's a part where it's Jerry O'Connell <clears throat> and... Nev Campbell are on the steps and they're looking out as like people are rushing past to see the dead body. Yeah. And there's a guy, he almost kind of looks like Dante from Clerks, but he's carrying like a beer yeah. and he does like a, like a full on like eye roll. Like he's like tripping and he like <laughs> trips out of the frame. And I am now like oh, unable to not see it. And it's just the biggest Van Wilder acting. And I don't know how he got away with it. And he's like my hero. I don't know his name. Yeah. That scene where they're all running out of the, uh, out of the, the house to go check out Cece's body. Yeah. Uh, there's a little dog that's like running. And that dog is uh Lev Shriver's dog. <laughs> oh, he was like dog Shriver. Yeah. <laughs> He was very excited about so it. It was a party. Movie. Yeah. It was an open house party. <laughs> really crazy. Was. Oh, and then they play Red Right Hand for like a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again. And they also play Red Right Hand during Stab. Yeah. At the yep. beginning of Stab. It was like the Gotta movie. Get it in the, there. the movie from the from the soundtrack of the first one. You put it in the soundtrack of the movie in the second movie. Ah, it's great. And then they did it again. Yeah. And then uh we get the, I we get the chase through the sorority house. Mm-hmm. I think both sorority sets are really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just they feel authentic. They feel like real sorority houses. 
but like really nice ones. Yeah. That scene where, where she answers the phone right. um, and, uh, and it's Ghostface, that was shot prior to the reshoots after like the script got leaked. Yeah. So um, in that scene, she's actually talking to ha- Hallie Killer because uh-huh. mm. uh, there's a bit in the trailer to Scream 2 that has the original version of that scene in the trailer because they released the trailer like as they were shooting. Yeah. Like, it wasn't, you know, they were still shooting. And so they didn't know that it was going to get leaked. But there's a bit where Ghostface says, uh, I'm Hallie. No, we you know. He says something like, he literally says something like, get ready, girlfriend, or like <laughs> something like that. Like it's, and it's, but it's like Ghostface like calling her girlfriend. Uh, uh, and that was supposed to be Hallie. And then, in I ADR, remember thinking change that out. Like you said, the Roger L. Jackson like took great care to like try and mimic the the vocal patterns right. of whoever Ghostface was. Right, and I was like, that's a risky move because if if like Christopher Walken was ever in one of these or someone with a really <laughs> distinctive vocal pattern, yeah, you almost risk giving up the ghost. Yeah, <laughs> no pun intended. The Ghostface, uh, uh, ghost. intend that pun. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, there you go. Say it with your chest. Uh, Jerry Connell goes back into the house and supposedly Brave allegedly. Boyfriend. Yeah, being a great boyfriend gets stabbed or slashed on his arm. Mm -hmm. And like, I love Nev Campbell's reaction as he's like, because he feels like a 19 year old kid in that moment. He's like kind of crying a little bit. Yeah. It's real. And you see like this guilt, but also this anger of like, I can't believe some asshole is like doing this to me again. Yeah. Yeah. They actually did a really great job. Like both, you know, his part of it, her part of it, like that tension of her, like, well, maybe. You know, she she doesn't want to necessarily say thing, any, something exactly because she might not be right. You know, it might not be, you know, right. this happened before. And then he, like, is a self is a pretty self-aware, like, 19, 20-year-old where he, he you know, he, he has a little bit of uh, moments of pushback where he's like, you know, I, I'm supposed to just be okay with this or, you know, like, yeah, yeah he, like, he understands that he's not being trusted. And then he's good guy Derek enough to be like, okay, I understand. And like they, he has like enough really of an job. ego to where he feels like an unbelievable college kid. But yes. He's not as possessive as like Billy was. Right. Yeah. Right. And we get that great scene in the hospital where it's, <laughs> it's the only scene I think where Mickey, Mickey is like, com- like comforting Sid. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was shot at the very end. Yeah. That was the la- one of the last things that they shot in the movie because mm-hmm. they realized that they didn't have anything with Sydney and Mickey, nothing, yeah. and so they were like, "Okay, we got to, we got to just shoot this real quick." There was some of him, and like, like you can see him in the background throughout the movie, where where his, you know, the, just the face he's making. I'm like, that's not Timothy Oliphant's normal happy face. That's yeah. his crazy murder face, it's Anthony Perkins face. <laughs> and then we get, uh, I really love his thing. Where in retrospect, he's totally just pulling the strings and manipulating. Yeah, but that, like, well, I mean, like, come on, why would the killer go back in the house? And Nev Campbell's like, holy shit, he's right. <laughs> what a dick. And then they're like, and Dewey is like on it. He's like, why Why did you go back? Yeah. You're freaking lucky. Oh, it's so convenient that this, the killer missed every yeah. like major artery. Yeah. And Jerry Connell's like, what's happening? I thought I did a good uh, thing. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, and Dewey gets to, you know, he's the protective big brother who gets to, he gets to be, you know, he doesn't care about Derek's feelings. He, he can just flat out accuse him and be like, ah, yeah, really convenient, buddy. Whereas you know, yeah. where, whereas Sydney has that tension, and she doesn't, she's not going to just say it. But but Dewey's is like, all right, fine. You know, the last time it was her boyfriend. Is it this? Is it the boyfriend again? 
And you're the audience is probably doing the same that thing too, of like, are they going to just do it again? Yeah. Is it really just going to be the boyfriend? It can't be, can it? Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Uh, we cut to the police station where David Arquette and his dad and Courtney Cox. I don't know why I'm using their real names. Uh, <laughs> Gail makes the discovery that all of the victims have shared names with the victims of Scream One because Cece, Cece's Casey. real name was Casey, like mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore. Yep, Casey Cooper. It's a cool Cece name. Cooper. It's pretty good. It's a cool way of like telling the audience like this is connecting to the first one, the mythology that we set up in the first movie. Yeah. My only issue with the whole copycat thing is once they figure out it's a copycat, (laughs) they stop copying. Like it's just nothing. Then then it's like it it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't uh, like a good mystery. It doesn't help the Dean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That doesn't stop any future murders. No, no. (laughs) The next person that they should have killed should have been. And in the original script, they called that out. They were like, who was next? And he was, they were like the principal, the principal. And then uh, Tatum. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, so, well, well, first there's this great scene where Gail's like in the book or in the movie. And they're like, (laughs) they're like, they're like, uh, how about in real life? He's like, she's like, well, in real life it was the principal, but in the movie they cut that out. Uh, creative license. <laughs> That's great. And so, which didn't they add so, that in the first one? Just because they're like, we need more murders. Yes. So yeah, uh, in that original script, when they were talking about the copycats and they found out like who the next two killers were, they then spend a chunk of time like the 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 cops, the sheriff, and the and, and everybody talking about who could be killed next and trying to get ahead of the killer and find. Yeah. The victim. So there, there's at least a little bit more of like chatter about it, even though it does eventually not go anywhere, except for a moment where they're like, oh, they're not killing someone named Tatum. They're kill. They're going to kill Sydney's new Tatum. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, it's it, Hallie's going to be next. And then, of course, Hallie ends up being the killer and is in no danger whatsoever. But yeah, I just thought. I, so it, it's been half baked in every iteration. Yeah, a little bit. Like. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But at least they like talk about it more, right. I guess. Yeah. Um, rather than introduce the concept and then just bail on it entirely. But that kind of one scene is the only time it comes up. Right, right, exactly. And we're uh, to, in response to the attacks and the arrival of a copycat killer, Sydney is given two bodyguards mm-hmm. uh, that are going to be like trailing her. And they're like trailing her and Jerry <sighs> O'Connell. Mm hmm. As they're like going through the quad. Yeah. Yeah. These are two stunt guys. Makes sense. And they they <laughs> hired stunt guys because of what they have to do in the car later. Yeah. And Wes was like, I want to see them. I want to see their faces. <laughs> I want to see their faces as they as the light leaves their eyes. <laughs> said quietly, uh, the only way we can do that is with uh, a stuntman. Nice. Yeah. So, oh. And we'll get into it. But yeah, it's really cool how like these dudes do get to be in like uh, quite a few scenes. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. kind of hanging back. Yeah. Uh, and Sydney tells and just Jerry O'Connell not helping. No, not helping at all. <laughs> and uh, Sydney tells Jerry O'Connell that like I, th- I think we should take a break. And yeah, kind of like we talked about earlier, he has this very I think like realistic response where he's frustrated and he doesn't quite have the you know he like the maturity to understand. Yeah. But he's like, okay, all right. There's Has the Cassandra tension. scene happened yet? Not yet. No. Okay. All right. No. It feels it feels late. Doesn't in the get game that older for- mentor that we don't see yeah. at any other point in the movie. That's so interesting. Okay. That is, yeah, you it, it, it get it it's almost like a full hour and change into the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that. But yeah, <laughs> let's let's keep going. Uh Gail gets gailed. Mm-hmm. Uh she's getting it was a really cool scene where she comes out of the sheriff's office and Lori Metcalf as well as a couple of other reporters are like trailing her and badgering her and it's this moment where 
she has now become part of the narrative. She doesn't get to just like be someone swooping in and commenting. She's now the story. Which is why it really bothers me that she goes through no character transformation in the third one. Like when we go to the third one, she's just back to her old tricks again. And it's like... Complete reset. Guys, like, come on, look, at there's all this these threads you could be pulling, and you're not pulling any of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway. No, for sure. I, I, I have very few. I haven't seen the third one in a long time either. Sure. Um, so uh, Sydney tells Jerry O'Connell, like, hey, let's take a break. The next scene, they're in, like, this huge, gorgeous cafeteria. And, like. Hogwarts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all hanging out. They're having a conversation. And then. Derek. Uh, uh, Derek doesn't take no for an answer, no. and, <laughs> and he, uh, yeah. he he does the foolproof plan of making a big, bold, performative declaration of love. Yeah, and yeah. he sings, "I think I love you" from Top Gun, <laughs> which I, uh, so I, I I had this thought: I love movies because only in a movie is something like this cool and romantic and perfect, and not like. Awkward and ill, yeah. ill yeah. thought out. There wasn't even yeah. anybody there to record it for him. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like I kind of feel like not to sound like an old man, but now it's like, oh, cool, another one. Flash of these. mob. Yeah. <laughs> so it's trying to go the, viral because of the fact that there's no playback music during this sequence. Yeah, it's right? just him singing. It's just him singing a cappella. Oh, um, Jerry uh, O'Connell. Uh, J- they said Jerry O'Connell sang this song very well. In every take. Oh. But he never sang in the same, <laughs> at the same pitch Got it. each time. And so, oh, no. and so when we edited it together, it just became a disaster. Oh. And we just rolled with the disaster. And we're just like, it oh, works. It's, it's cute that he yeah. can't really sing, but he's doing it anyway. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually have quite a bit Brave of affection guy. for this for this scene because it, it feels like something that should be in 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like a romantic college comedy movie move. Taken from another teenage movie. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it feels like you you love it. And he's so like such a big himbo goofball. And he doesn't <laughs> sound like a singer. And it's it sounds like it's actually happening. And I yeah. love the big sweeping it, camera movements. And I mean, yeah. like, you know, not for nothing, but in, in, in this role and in this part and in this scene, like Jerry O'Connell's pretty charming. Yeah, you can see yeah. Neff Campbell like, I know I shouldn't. I just told you, but God, you're so, this is so. Look at that face. Yeah, and like, I, it's like my best friend's wedding. I love the whole cafeteria claps along and goes yeah. along with it. Although Mickey, that there's that great bit where Mickey's like egging him on. Like yeah. he does like the big claps <laughs> where he's like telling the audience to go. It's going to yeah. be more fun when I kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, and at the moment as your first viewer, it's viewership, it's kind of like the most wingman-y mm-hmm. that Mickey gets to be. Speaking of Top Gun. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that moment. And then he gives Sydney his, like, what, ring? His letters. His letters. letters. The, the necklace. Got it. Which I guess has and a lot of weight on it or something. Yeah, <laughs> Hallie's like, oh, so she's like, you're not supposed to do that. But every year, some idiot college kid gives his letters to his girlfriend, and then, like, he gets hazed later. So that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Hallie. Greeks. Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. In, in my notes, I wrote stab scene, and I was like, "What does that mean?" And it's oh. the scene where, oh, yeah, t- yeah R- Randy and Dewey are at Baskin Robbins, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tori Spelling. At least you got David Schwimmer. <laughs> yeah, we we see the the scene from Stab, but the yes. killer Luke Wilson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> featuring Luke Wilson as stupid. Stupid. <laughs> let, let me ask you this, Scott. What in the theater did this get like a big? I don't remember okay. it getting a big thing because I think that Luke Wilson wasn't like 
so big. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like, like, oh, I think I recognize that guy from somewhere. I think the Tory spelling thing got a bigger reaction. Sure, because yeah. that's a callback. But it, well, they wouldn't. No, no one had any memory that it was a callback. Even I didn't have a memory that it was a callback until I watched them back to back. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, once I got the bootleg version. But uh, no, it was it was that it was Tori Spelling who was very famous from Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah, so that's what everyone was reacting to. It was yeah. just like, oh, that terrible actress from Beverly Hills 90210, because that was like what she was known as is like bad actress Tori Spelling. Oh, because yeah, that, that's the joke in the first movie. Right, Sydney's like, with my luck, it'll be Tori Spelling. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I love the bit. In the interview where Tori Spelling trails off, where the, uh, where the interviewer is like, so how did you prepare for this role? She's like, well, I read the book. And then like kind of trails <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> and then like Randy's like fucking great. Like, I'll wait for the video. <laughs> right. Um, and then we get a really cool scene where it's these two, uh, two again, like two survivors from the first movie, mm-hmm. just no bullshitting, just straight to brass tacks. Like, who do we think this is? And we get Derek kind of like, and his pity me surface wound. Right. It's great. Yeah. He's like, I love these movies because the characters are right with the audience and you feel like you're on this mystery with them and yeah. the characters aren't being dumbed down by the movie. No. Yeah. There's even a part where they're like, well, you could be the killer. Well, you, you're right. If, I could if be, it could be you, then it could be me. And like, they both accept that because they both kind of know, quote, the rules. Right. They know that it isn't personal. They're right. just trying to survive. Right, right, right. I love this scene. I think this is like one of my favorite, it might be my favorite sort of like chatty scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. What I found really interesting about this, listening to the commentary, was that apparently Jamie Kennedy could not remember his lines to save his life oh, no. uh, during the scene. And every line, like every chunk of lines, he would finally get through and then he would forget the next one. And so this is the editor being like, the thing that I love about Jamie Kennedy is he could not remember his lines, but he got through chunks of it and he gave 110% every chunk that he could remember. And then as soon as he couldn't remember, he copped to it and someone, he would get his line and then he would do the next one. And so all of the, this scene is spliced together from multiple different takes that we did that day, but they all go together (laughs) seamlessly um, where it looks like he just pulled out this amazing performance, but it was all done in the edit. Added gift of film. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. And like uh, this is where we get the nerve ending thing where like they're both a little defensive. They both have their, you know, like when, when uh, Dewey brings up the Sydney thing, Mm -hmm. like he prickles. Randy, yeah. you can tell that it's still like sensitive. Still raw. Yeah, he's got his bullet wound. Mm-hmm. Dewey's got his. Oh arm. yeah, yeah. He kind yeah. of he, he can be self deprecating where he's like, and I have the scars to prove it, and he like shows his, <laughs> yeah. his stab wound. Unrequited love slave of Cindy Sydney Prescott. You're one to talk. I noticed he's like a more useful Xander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to to refer to him. A useful Xander. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we get some cool like shots of Joel reading Gail's book in a wide. Yeah, where you're not, you can clock it and notice it, and then yeah. the next scene, he like comes up to Gail and he's like, uh, "WTF?" I I love that scene because I love that he's just like, "I read what happened to your last cameraman." Is he he got gutted? And he, she's like, "He wasn't." First of all, he wasn't gutted. His throat was slashed. He's like, "Gutted? Slash? That dude's not, not in the any, union yeah. no more." I love that line. Such a, such a good line. line. He's not yeah, in the union no more. Line of the movie. <laughs> I wrote that one good, down. It's a good oh, line. It's, it's a so good. good. Line. I love that. <laughs> and then finally, uh, we get the arrival of David Warner himself. Hell yeah! Yep. 
and Scream 2 play uh, the world. Out of nowhere. Called, one time the Scream movies uh, crossover with the Ninja Turtle movies, Chris. <laughs> Yes. This is why we had you on. Yes. He, uh, yeah, the, the doctor uh, left New York with his vial of ooze and then became a drama teacher. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Goodbye, TRI. Hello, college theater. <laughs> so I understand the instinct of having this character, Sydney, become a drama student because she's trying to find a way to take all of the pain and trauma that she experienced and use it in a useful way. Or a way that she feels is useful. Yeah. You know, we see her again do this in the third movie in a completely different way. Yes. But in in this one, it's like, okay, maybe I'll be an actor. But my problem with this, I I, I appreciate the philosophy behind the choice. But in actuality, Sydney hates being in the spotlight. And always has. Yeah. I just cannot understand it, why this character would want to be an actor. Yeah, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, what's to her me. end game here? Like, if she gets good enough at acting, if she succeeds right. enough at acting, she's going to be in front of reporters, you know, a couple of, you know, many days out of the year, and they're going to ask right. all sorts of questions, and they're all going to want, like, some sort of a gotcha moment on film of some sort of a reaction. And so they're always going to ask about, like, hey, what about that one time when your boyfriend tried to kill you? Right. Yeah. I loved it. I, I loved all of it. And to me, it's one of the weirdly in this like Hollywood Scream 2 movie. It's like one of the only movies I can think of that speaks to like the therapeutic power that acting has. Sure. Yeah. Or like oh, yeah. as an acting student, something that I learned is like, you know, we it's this weird career where like if you're a really good plumber or you're a really good doctor, you get like a corner office. But it's like, are you a, if you're a really good actor, does that mean you become famous at the end? Is that like the goal? Sure. Is that what you're trying to do? And the more you get into it, like it, it can be a tool for like processing stuff. Sure. And dealing with stuff and getting to like, like David Warner says, like it's yours. You get to use your anger and your anguish and your mourning and like throw it out in Greek, which right. is all about like, and it's so. It's the only one of the only times I can think of where like a college professor for theater isn't like a piece of shit diva failed actor stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he's like he he arguably makes a mistake <laughs> because like this you're you're threading a line and like yeah. what happens with Sydney is very realistic. Of she kind of is triggered right and she loses herself in the emotion and the audience is like whoa what's happening yeah and so like but then again like I've I'm an acting student so I guess like I yeah. kind of saw it as like well yeah like there is reality to that sure. of, of like not every actor is like i want to be famous sure. so there's every possibility that sydney for some reason maybe if she's in california or something is like i want to do this i'm called to do this even though yeah there is this as we'll see in the third movie maybe it's genetic mm. i genuinely don't remember what she's doing in the third movie i just remember she's like in a trailer <laughs> yeah well, with like a bunch uh, of radios anyway. yeah yeah like I said, I, I understand and appreciate everything that you're saying, and I saw that as well. I'm, I guess my issue is, like, you're coming into it with baggage of knowledge of things that you know as an mm-hmm. actor, but none of that is on screen. Yeah. And so, like, I just wish there was a moment where somebody was like, so, like, you're going to be an actor? or And she's like, <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's – I'm – I'm figuring it out. You know, yeah. just something where it's like, Good question you get for the Gail. sense of like, I don't want to be famous. If I do this, it's going to be like, you know, for fun or like. Because yeah. it's like, I they're not even keep... in California anymore, yeah. right? Are they? Yeah, I think this is supposed to be Ohio. So yeah, it's, yeah. Like, a, it's, like, a, it's like a college right. theater class in the middle of Ohio. Yeah, maybe right. she just but, wants but to teach like high school drama. But <laughs> because we don't know her major, 
I think my mind defaults that this is her major, which I think David Warner says that it is. Yeah. Okay. So see, that feels weird to me. But then again, but I don't know what her goals are after college. Right. And she's a freshman, right? Yeah. I, I, she, I don't, I can't quite clock that. (laughs) Yeah. We don't know. Because it is a year later, but I don't know if in the movie world it's a year later or if it's a couple years later. Also, were they even supposed to be seniors in, uh, in the first one? Yeah, they were seniors. Okay, they were seniors. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think they said, like, oh, this happened in the movie theater. That random extra was like, this happened a couple years ago. Yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah. To yeah. me, the whole Cassandra and, like, yeah, David Warner has that really cool Face speech it where it's- fight it. Yeah, where, <laughs> like, you are Cassandra. And, like, Sydney herself is sort of this Cassandra yeah. of yeah. victims being claimed by the media, their stories. So that was really cool. This whole subplot to me- just reminds me of like what I love about sequels. Like I think about the Spider-Man movies mm-hmm. where there's randomly like five minutes where Mary Jane's doing importance of being earnest. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And like, you could tell like if this wasn't the sequel to a big hit movie, it's like, you're, you're cutting the Cassandra shit. First of all, like what, what's right. that? Right. And it feels so random. And I, and I really appreciate, I forgot how it comes back. In yeah. the finale, mm-hmm. David Warner's like Sydney. This is your space. You own it. You have to, con- <laughs> and you're like, she's fucking gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, no. I, a hell I, of a stage I really, production. I really do love all of that. I just wish we got in her head a little bit more yeah. in terms of like what are her goals with this. Because in terms of like a career, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me in character. But if her goal is not career oriented and it's just like. I'm doing this for fun or it's not my major. I'm just doing this it's art like, it's because it's art. Yeah. yeah. Then I, I think I could get more on board with it. It's the fact that it's her major yeah. and it seems like it might be what she wants to do as a career. That's the part of it that feels a little weird to me in character. Yeah. Just in terms of like her being so anti being in the spotlight. Yeah. And like you said, not all actors need to be in the spotlight. A lot of actors just get roles in off Broadway stuff and no one really knows their name other than like Broadway nerds, you know? And that's totally legit. Yeah. And if that's what she was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll go to New York. Maybe I'll do be a teacher or a therapist. Totally. Any of those things. And that, and and, and as long as they just like wrote it off, I would be like, okay, totally legit. Go for it. But the fact that they never take the time to do that just has leaves, leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But I will say in the original script, and in every version of the script, this was not Cassandra. This was Death Trap. Nick, you looked up some stuff about Death Trap, right? Yeah, okay. uh, I like that it's Cassandra. It feels like more of a Wes Craven move. It is. Of this like artsy, like, ooh, there's layers to this. <laughs> yeah. In this my cool Mad. slasher movie. Uh, Death Trap is like a comedy thriller <laughs> that is in this kind of subgenre of th- plays that are kind of like postmodern. Mm-hmm. Uh, the characters in Death Trap are writing a play called Death Trap. that's about a murder and like foul play and shenanigans and then there's like all these reveals of like i was actually just acting out my script or like we're going to write this real murder but it's going to be on a show and then they're going to make a show out of the real murder just one too many layers of of meta too much yeah like just (laughs) too much so yeah it's a good it's good Wes craven like when he got the death trap scene he was just like nope not going to be death trap plus that that set is not going to be nearly dramatic enough Right. And uh, uh, Death Trap, uh, the leads are mostly male. Oh. And so, like, the female characters, it's not Cassandra. It's not like she right. does, she wouldn't be giving this big Greek monologue right. about, like, the coming storm. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and um, we get that cool, almost like Brian De Palma 
like psycho yeah. theater where she doesn't she can't tell if it's the masked yeah. people or ghost face. Yeah, kind of reminds me of um some scenes in Carrie too. Mm, yeah. But uh it's the it's the closest scream ever gets to getting like hyper real. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the the music in this scene. This is not Marco. Again, Marco <laughs> didn't do this one. Wes called in a favor uh, yep. and asked his uh, his buddy Danny Elfman to write this Cassandra sequence. Um, and so this this Cassandra piece is a Danny Elfman piece with like the choir and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's all. That's all Danny Elfman. What a yeah! What a crazy murderers row of composers. Yeah, so we got Marco doing most of the work, and then we have Danny Elfman coming in with the Cassandra piece, and then uh, Hans Zimmer, uh, Hans Zimmer uh, uh, giving us that yeah, bass pinch, line. pitch hitting that uh, that Dewey theme. Yeah. Boom, boom, yeah. Boom, boom. Uh, we cut back to the quad. Dewey and Joel and Randy and Gail are tossing it up. Talking about it, uh, we get a super cheeky joke about Gail's nudes being leaked, and she's like, "Oh, it was my head and Jennifer Aniston's body." <laughs> Uh, second friends alum. Mm. Yeah. And then potentially a controversial decision. Randy gets called. It's Ghostface. Yeah. Gail and Dewey are like, all right, bye. We're going to go find out who's calling. We're going to leave you alone. Yeah. I. So my thing is, if Randy, and he couldn't, he didn't know. He didn't, he couldn't have known. If he hadn't have gotten just too close to that one van. Yeah. yeah. I don't think what Dewey and Gail do the decision they make is as foolhardy because like if he had to just stayed put, I don't think he would have been killed, Yeah, but it is like a fatal blow. And it's not the last time that the protagonists of this movie are directly responsible for the, the deaths of other characters. Right. Yeah. My issue is that he's like running around trying to find the killer too. Yeah. Which, oh, Randy. Randy. Yeah. Whereas like, like Gail and Dewey doing it, I'm like, okay, yeah, legit. Like you keep them talking and we'll find the person on the cell phone, uh, not realizing that they're on a Assaulting college Assaulting a lot of random people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, tackling them. But this was the result of, of on the set, on the day rewrites. Right. Right. Exactly. So how do you feel about it? Because it's, it's arguably the most polarizing decision of the franchise, the murder of Randy. I think it's the right move, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I hate to see him go, but I love watching him walk away. Uh, <laughs> it, it's such a great... Necessarily. He had a fat ass. It's such a great unsettling really move because <laughs> you, you can't get out of this movie without losing someone from the original movie right. because it feels toothless otherwise. Right. Yeah. Because Randy himself was like, it's bigger. It's, we can't, it's getting, we're going to ratchet up More the violence. got to die. Right. And Nobody's yeah. Safe. And like, because again, it's part of the problem with Scream 3 is Scream 3 ends up feeling a little toothless because the three originals that roll into that movie roll right back out of it at the yeah. end. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. But they're running out of original characters. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Randy's killed. It's it's brutal. It's, it's sad. Such a bummer. And you even I love the Boombox Boys mm-hmm. because it's like that the Top fact what a coincidence. The fact, <laughs> the fact that there's like a little bit of humor yeah. in the middle of this death of a beloved character, it's just quintessentially scream. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Randy. Won't be the last time we see you, though. No, it won't be. No. And also, like, I don't know, we'll get into it. But uh, uh, cut back to Sydney at the library. She gets, like, an instant On, message. Uh, yeah, Pine or whatever that message service was. Could, yeah. Couldn't tell you how it worked. <laughs> There's this great moment where after it's like, you're going to die tonight, like, instant message. You can hear one of the one of the security guys being like, get away from the computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Does she ever find out that Randy was killed? Do we ever see her reaction so, to so, it? So, uh, so she she runs away from the computer. Right. Uh, she runs into Cotton. Right. At, at the library. And I really, really love Cotton Weary in this movie, in particular, this scene. Yes. Because we we see in this movie that he is kind of like the dark inverse of Sid. Yeah. He is addicted to fame. He's a he needs the story to keep going. Whether it's like residual, like I got fucked, I got sent to jail, I didn't do anything wrong. Can't get an mind. actual job. Yeah, yeah. So he's like in constant, almost like Gale, of re-upping that validation of like, no, the story's not over yet. There's always another scoop. There's always another angle. Right. There's yeah. always another interview to get to. And Sydney's like, get the fuck away from me, dude. Yeah. Like rejects him soundly. Yeah. And Cotton has this like freak out. And I love that Cotton is not a killer and is never a killer, but he's like not a good dude. Yeah, right. not. And he's worse than three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then uh, the cops like pin Cotton to the wall and like, easy dude, easy dude. And we cut back to the station. And while Cotton is being questioned and processed, that is when Sydney is given the news that Randy's killed. Oh, right. okay. That's right. That's and right. We get that moment where she's like, it should have been me. And uh, one of my favorite scenes with Hallie is she's like, I don't want to break. I, I just, I can't break. And Hallie's like, but you can. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay if you do break. Yeah. That line, the breaking line, was in that original script where Hallie was the killer, and mm. it, it's it's so much Sinister. darker yeah. in that version. You will break. Yeah, because I'm reading it knowing she's going to be revealed to be the killer, and I'm like, that's pretty fucked up, man. Yeah, <laughs> and now, like, and like we kind of said earlier, it's unfortunately, okay ha- sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, now it's just kind of like inoffensive, generic, best friend sidekick right. talk. Right. Yeah. Gail leaves. Gail's sh- uh, kind of shaken up as well by Randy's death. It's sort of her like, oh no, this is real moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, she blows up at Debbie Salt because she sees Debbie as like a copycat Gail. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like Gail yelling at herself. Kind of, right? yeah. And then this is also when we get Gail and uh, Dewey's sort of big explosive fight and then rekindling yes. of the relationship. Yeah. It's, uh, God, I love them in this, in this movie. Um, Gotta be. Yeah, yeah. Gail and Dewey. It's so good. Yeah. Gotta be a VCR around here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we get their, their back, their chemistry's back, and then they go to this, like, the what was that the theater building, the film building? Yeah, the film school. Like, building? the film yeah. school. Like, I, I think the, the sign just says film school or something. Yeah. And I really like the, the, the tape reveal, where you're seeing that he's been recording every murder from afar, yeah. and then you cut to, like, their backs, and they turn around and go his faces, like, in the little projector booth. And that's yeah. Cool. It's really good. That that but, sequence is really good because then it leads into the sound booth sequence. Honestly, the camera just following them and then Gale through the whole building and into the yeah. booth. I just thought it was I love what the camera was oh, doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I mean, and then that sequence when you're in the booth and she's like hiding around corners and you can see Ghostface. Yeah, just as he blocks like from, from one bit of cover to the other, he's just behind her. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. very well done. Just just Wes Craven at the height of his powers. Oh. Just like, no, I'm a I'm a really good director. <laughs> like you know, like it's 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 a it's just really amazing. See stuff. these people on screen fr- uh, freaking you out. I directed them. <laughs> yeah. That being said, mm-hmm. all of that is true. Mm-hmm. I do, and I love. I I think the 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 soundproof stabbing mm-hmm. is is violent and sad yeah. and heartbreaking, and both Gale. actors are. S- are selling the hell out of it. Yeah. And if you're watching it the first time, it, it has to, you know, you, they, you buy that Dewey's dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dewey gets stabbed like four times in this. 
And I'm going to be curious to see how they carry over the reality of these injuries. They don't. Into Scream 3. Spoilers. They don't. And <laughs> they then, really don't. <laughs> and then Scream 4, because you said that he's like, he's, he gets better after this movie. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I like how you can track the progression of his Scream 1 injury, but it's weird that this is fucking brutal what happens to him in this <laughs> yeah. movie. Well, the Scream to Scream 2 injury is carried forward in the script by Kevin Williamson, you know? Right. And and Kevin doesn't write the third movie. Yes. Mm. And that's the problem. So, there you go. Yeah. It's brutal, though. It's a brutal sequence. I mean, yeah. take it, take the continuity, the general continuity out of the moment, and it's it's just an impeccably directed sequence. Sure. All of it. Um, yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. They, uh, they're, they're, the bodyguards are taking Sydney away. Mm-hmm. Sydney has like his, uh, her sad kind of breakup with Jerry O'Connell. Mm-hmm. And then we get this cool kind of half fake out where you think Jerry O'Connell's getting stalked by ghost faces, but he's actually being stalked by something arguably scarier and more dangerous <laughs> frat, frat brothers. Yeah. Frat brothers. Yeah. yeah. They did this really cool thing when he's in the in the hood and he's like, "Hey, you!" You gotta die, and then he, and then prepare to die or whatever. Yeah. When it, the "Hey, you" is Roger Jackson, so that you think for a second it is Ghostface, <laughs> and then they let the college kids say the "prepare to die" part. That's cool. Um, so yeah. it's a not for nothing. Movie. Like this scene, like when the hooded figures are like coming in and like this whole sort of outdoor shot that they're at. I mean, maybe it just comes down to American colleges all looking the same, but this looks an awful lot like what they did like for the outdoor shots for uh, when Buffy's in college, like especially like mm-hmm. the first couple sure. episodes. It yeah. Might be the yeah, same spot. Yeah, no, it's like there's just one college that all of Hollywood uses. I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they used a lot of UCLA for some of the exterior stuff in uh in buffy right because they shot in 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 california so. yeah true 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 yeah so the awesome. the frat brothers whisk jerry o'connell away and to party, uh, me, to party and like <laughs> chastise him for giving his greek letters away. how dare you meanwhile uh cut back to hallie and sydney and the bodyguards and what i think is the craziest set piece of the franchise oh yeah so we get one of the guys throat is slit open right after like half coming out of the closet Alluding to the fact that he might, it's like a callback to a joke where they're like, I think that one of them's gay. Oh, right. Yeah. And then uh, the one guy is like on the hood of the car and then just gets like final destination taken out. Yeah. So he has his gun out and he never fired. <laughs> when they, when they shot they, the dummy where mm-hmm. the, the pipe goes through his head. Yeah. That was supposed to be through its chest. And the dummy slipped, and it went straight <laughs> through its head. And they're like, "Well, Phineas oh, Gage, there, there you it go." Is. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why back in the car they allude to it and remark upon it. Mm-hmm. There's this moment where Sydney's like, "Oh, it's through his eye," right? <laughs> it's kind of like the most scary mo- uh, Scream Three moment. Yeah, is there? There's this moment where Ghostface is driving the car, and he gets knocked out after the wreck. And how yeah. like, driving? I, Ghostface is driving. Who's driving? Ghostface me. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and so Ghostface is knocked out, and Hallie's like, "Is he dead?" And he's like, "I don't think so." And then it, they cut the put the guy who just got a pipe shoved through his face. He's like, yeah. "Is he dead?" She's like, "I think so." <laughs> it's like almost that scream three. It's yeah. almost parody. Yeah. But, yeah. So, like, the fact that they're taken out, that bugs me. You know, the cops are just useless. That it's just, yeah. I, I can't, ah, whatever. But then this <laughs> scene where, like, and it's it's well done. It's scary, and it's tense, yeah. and, and you're like, oh, God. But at the same time, I'm like, kill him. 
<laughs> Strangle out. him. Like, use Suffocate your, take him. Take off your belt. Take use your. You got a nice jacket. You can, just you can take the mask take off the, after he's dead. Yeah, kill yeah, him just first. Kill him. Yeah, yeah. And, had, there's and, a knife. There's a gun on the hood of the car. God. Absolutely. Ugh. And so what? Even though it is like I think the tensest, mm-hmm. most well directed Hitchcock almost scene where they have to like get over Ghostface's body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like they both Sydney make it. Kind of woo. Yeah, and they both make it. I always forget how Hallie or if Hallie dies in this movie. Yeah, uh, that That's being it's very because, forgettable. Yeah, her death yes. is not 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 good. Yeah, and not it's good. it's a it's a hundred percent Sydney's fault. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, like, you know, like from a storytelling standpoint, like it's interesting to have your protagonist be like, no, I have to find out. I have to, und- un-. and now like this innocent girl who knew that it was dangerous and wanted to run away is killed. Yeah. But it's the result of rewrites. Right. It wasn't supposed to happen. Right. And as a result, Sydney never reckons with it. And that feels like something Sydney Prescott would do. Yeah. And only the the memory of Derek is the only one to be carried forward in Scream 3 of any of the new characters in this mm. movie. Like it's your fault that that, that like <laughs> that Hallie died. And and the thing about it too is like the death works really well as her partner fake killing her. Yeah. Only to be revealed for her to be the killer later. Mm-hmm. It works great for that. Yeah. It's like a perfect death for that. Um, but it's not that. She's really dead, kill. and that sucks. Yeah. And it's if, if she was supposed to be Sydney's, like, because we're seeing Sydney's tethers to this, to the world getting snapped away one by one in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that should be like a moment. Her best friend in this new world is killed again. Yep. And it's, yeah, I, I don't know. And like, I totally get it. It's a bummer that the script got leaked. Yeah. M- movies are crazy. That's what the show is about. Right, right. But yeah, like in more ways than one, Hallie's very much a casualty of this movie. She, I'd say she's the largest casualty for sure. For sure. Yeah. So they go back to the theater. Sydney like is chased back to the theater. Forgot she, how they go. I, she, yeah, she <laughs> runs back to the theater. Well, she runs, but she goes back to the theater because the like the sound system is blasting through campus and it right. doesn't alert okay. anyone else and no one. Yeah, she's led there. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody Bye, else Mickey. goes to check on the sound blasting across campus from out of the theater. Yeah. I, I don't know who's blasting that or if Mickey started it up before he went and got in the car and did Because that's got to be Mickey, right? Or is that or Lori Metcalf? Because uh, they, because they, because they have the party and like they strap him, uh, they strap Derek up there, like they leave. Oh, they right. The so they just left it left. on. So they're not trying to lure her in. Well, they okay. Oh wait, no, I think they left it quiet. But isn't there like a shot of like Ghostface turning on the system, like flipping the switches? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty Should sure. Should have been red right hand. So then maybe, yeah. so then maybe <laughs> Mickey. So that's Lori Medcalf then in the car. Who got un- knocked unconscious and then kills Hallie. That's fucking nuts. And then, yeah. And then Mickey, meanwhile, Tough is at woman. the thing. Because Laurie Metcalf has to be free to be making the phone call when Gail comes out. Yeah. yeah. And so that she can say, cotton weary. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, so we see that Derek is still like tied to that weird ball. And then we get Mickey Crucified. being on. Yeah. 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 And Mickey being unmasked. And once again. Sydney is asked to choose between believing two men. Yeah. Right. Like one of them is one of them means to harm you, one of them just is trying to stay alive. <clears throat> and again, yeah. she chooses herself and Derek is killed. And so like twist it's, in the it's, knife. Yeah, it's brutal and a twist in the knife, but also it kind of feels like a we've seen this before. And like me as a viewer, like, well, I know what Sydney's gonna do. 
She's right. gonna she's gonna take care of herself. She's right. gonna she's gonna do her. And I'm not even saying that like judgingly, but I, I saw her do it in Scream One. It was right. bad. It was badass. But but yeah. but I like that the movie is 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 saying like. There's a cost to that as yeah, well. Right. Sometimes it's the this, right choice, yeah. and and you get away with it, and everybody's fine. You know, fine. Air yeah. quote, mm-hmm. fine. She made the right decision. She, right. There was We're, no punishment. Right to say fuck you both in scream yes. and shut the door. Randy was fine, so like it ended up being okay. Um, but in this result, doing doing the fuck you both results <laughs> in an innocent man getting his heart shot. And again, like I, I love that. I think I, I think it would have hit me more if the movie let that hit Sydney more. Yeah, because similar to Hallie, by the time we get to like the this part of a horror movie, the kills really stop feeling like the weight gets lighter. Mm-hmm. And so, like I don't know, like it feel this almost feels like a Spider Man two move <laughs> of like the villain really knowing how to shatter Sydney's life. Yeah, and break put her push her to her breaking point. Yeah, but like. I don't know. I, well, I I wish they would have gotten deeper into that. I mean, but there's no time between yeah. like killing Derek and and their confrontation. She doesn't get to. I mean, I, I assume that there's more dealing with that later, but that's after the yeah. movie. I think Derek's death is the most affecting death in the movie. I think from Sydney's point of view, cool, cool. I think her reaction to Randy's death is just like ah, should have ah, been shucks. me. Like you know, it's just kind of <laughs> like I don't know. It's just it's uh, muted. Yeah, it's very muted. And here, like her immediately realizing she made a mistake yeah. and diving her hand on top of his wound, yeah. right, right, and right. it's just, just like, died for, you know, yeah, and, and you're just, and you're just like, oh, Sid, that's not going to do shit. Like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but like, you you got this guy killed, yeah, and and, and then her him just pouring salt in the wound of like being like he was gonna be a doctor and like yeah. that whole yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's. It's really good and it builds up her anger. Yeah. And I think that's where the shift comes. I think she's hurt and affected by it. But then Mickey uh, uh, just immediately digs the knife in and she makes the switch to she, anger. She's like, no, I'm not going to blame myself. I'm going to blame you, asshole. Yeah. You, you know? see the, 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 the shift. Take focuses. it and fight yeah. through it. Like David Warner said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then this is when I really – the rewrites started really – I don't know. Like, I, it started hitting me that by this time, the finale of the first scream, like a Russian nesting doll, you were, you're realizing just how many levels this movie's operating on. Right. And like the reveal of the killers just actually makes the movie richer. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy for a horror movie. Right. And we get in this movie, Mickey's like, I'm going to blame it on the movies. They'll never see this coming. <laughs> and like, it just feels like Scooby-Doo compared to the first movie. Very much so. And like such a product of the circumstances. And this wasn't never, this was never supposed to be the original movie. Right. Yeah. It's it's like, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, he's not the real one. So. Right. And then out. we get uh, the really cool reveal of, cause it's cool. Cause like Sydney's like, Mrs. Loomis. Like, oh, <laughs> they've never met. They've never seen each other. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's really good. Um, Mrs. Loomis. Mrs. Yeah. Loomis. There Pretty is good. there's this really great thread mm-hmm. in the original script where her whole thing is Mickey was an like the, these two were idiots. I mean, you know, in this script it was Haley and, and Derek. Yeah. In this version, it's Mickey. They're tools. But like they're idiots. Like the idea of blaming the movies is stupid. It's never about the movies. Yeah. It's about the family. That's who you blame. You blame the family. And that's why. <laughs> and then you find out her blame big reveal is that she's the one who convinced 
Billy to kill Marine. To uh, kill her mom because she found out about the affair. Yeah. And she was like, you should just kill that bitch. And like right. that was that was the reveal in that original version of the script. But in this, she's just wanting revenge on Sydney for killing her psycho son. But like I liked that it was a twofer. It was like no, I convinced my I manipulated my son into doing what he did in the first movie. Yeah. And then you killed him and now I'm pissed about that and yeah. also I like so like I want to kill you for killing him, but also I want you to know that this was always me, that I'm the one who did this. <laughs> and it tracked cuz she they do uses- that in the next movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. She uses the same kind of really like kind of slut shamey sanctimonious language towards Maureen that Billy uses yes. yep. of like your mother. She wasn't that, you know? And yeah. so that that's cool because yeah, like the, her line of like, I just want revenge. I'm like, that tracks, I guess like yeah. a mother would, but it makes it, sense. It's, it's, it's nowhere near like Billy and Stu. Right. And like what that <laughs> did felt like. Yeah. It, it feels like the finale to a really good, like Kevin Williamson scream series. We're like, this is, oh, this is a cool, I didn't see this coming. Yeah, yeah. And it's super effective, but yeah. like having just watched Scream 1, like literally An last actual week, motive. Can, right. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about it. Yeah, uh, I liked that they met online. They met online. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, like the, uh, <laughs> something like 90 active serial killers in the United States, mm-hmm. whatever. Whatever the FBI says it is. Film gonna, school's expensive. I, right. <laughs> I have yes. funding. How many people did he kill before he was online and available as a for-hire serial killer? Whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All the all that stuff, all that fun stuff, and then able to take out two cops like it's nothing, right? Yeah, that wasn't him. That was Laurie Metcalf. Oh yeah, she's able to take out two cops. Like it's nothing. <laughs> she's yeah. Laurie Metcalf. <laughs> so Chris, last week I was really tick. I was like really delighted by Sydney dressing up as Ghostface and stalking Billy for a few minutes, yeah, seconds. That's good. And this one, they graduate. It's like a real. You're not locked in here. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with yeah. me. I love that. Yeah. All, anytime that happens in a movie, the turn, the table's turning. Ah, I love it. Yeah. She traps her killer and attacker in a haunted house. Yeah. yeah. Just classic Sidney Prescott. I yeah. just realized it is Mickey in the car because he has the head wound. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. When Good. he takes the mask off, he has the head wound. So it is Mickey in the car. So that means that Mrs. Loomis launches the music because she knows he she's on his, her way and then, and then goes, goes out to the phone meets mm-hmm. with gail okay. and then comes back inside so still a 19 year old college kid in film school takes out two cops Whatever. sure does mm-hmm. yeah that's something you're gonna have to make peace with on your I, I i i do have to make peace with that i can make peace with that but i'm gonna you know just kind of it's called chaos magic, like, Chris. Like, <laughs> like nails on a chalkboard every time. Oh, and uh, Gail gets shot, falls in the orchestra pit. Yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah, before the, the haunted feet. house. Kaboom. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Cotton comes, and this is great. Yeah, I really appreciated this Hero because, like, moment. <laughs> we know the audience knows at this point who Sydney is, and even who Gail is. Mm-hmm. Where we're like, okay, like they're not gonna, gonna, they're not gonna, they're, they're not gonna bite into the fruit, but Cotton, right. Like, what's he going to – and, like, the way Sydney's able to bargain and, fine, the interview's yours, just whatever gets this, yeah. like, girl off my back. Mm-hmm. Sydney's savage. Damn. Yeah. The ending with Cotton at the in, in the original draft is the only part of the original draft I don't prefer. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't love that. I don't like Gail dying. 
for uh, sure. Yeah, mm. yeah, right. And and the idea behind it is like he's like, yeah, I'm gonna be the one to carry the story forward. And if I'm the one to carry the story forward, I'm the only one who can be interviewed. No one's going to turn an interview down with me because you're not there anymore. Uh, <laughs> that's like his whole thing, his whole <laughs> modus operandi. There, that's a little um, too I, much. I don't, yeah, I don't I don't love it. It's a little it's a little too much. Four killers is a little too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas three this- three was plenty. Yeah. Three is pushing I, it. <laughs> yeah. I like Sydney cuz she's learned enough about Cotton in this movie to be like I know how this dude operates. I can give this dude what he wants. Yeah. And survive. And I will going. I will activate Sabretooth. <laughs> and I like that he gets a happy ending because yeah, yeah, he's an asshole, but we forget he went through a lot. Yeah. You know, he yeah, was going he was going to yeah, he was going to get executed. Yeah, like, Jesus Christ. They mentioned that in the first movie. In it was record death row. time for California. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was on death row. Can you imagine that Like, it took you the least time ever in California history <laughs> yeah. to be decided to get on put on circumstantial death row. evidence. Yeah. Right. And yeah, like you said, so like, you know, Gail's alive. They do like the final scare because then he's like, I'm not taking any chances and just like pops Ow. Laurie Metcalf in yeah. the head. Yeah. And then outside well, the and, press starts but Mickey, oh yeah yeah to Mickey pops up and <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like crazy he's having a lot of fun like he's just fucking with them one last yeah. time he's like i'm gonna if i'm gonna <laughs> go out this is how i want to go he's out like, he's like those things in the car dealership yeah and I, yeah, yeah I, I love i love whatever in movies like you shoot somebody and it's like they get hit with a wrecking ball and they just fly back i was like no but okay right, it's yeah. fun <laughs> they both have a gun now mm-hmm. it's scream too yeah bam bam, bam. And then the, the press starts swarming Sydney afterwards. <laughs> oh, the, uh, the bit where, where, where Sydney's like, give me the gun cut. And he's like, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like that. It's so good. Yeah, Lee Schreiber's really good in this. God, he's so good. Really I good. love Cotton. I really do. I think he's a great character. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the press swarms Sydney outside. She's like, I. this means more to you than it does to me. Yep. I'm, I could judge you about like if this is like healthy or whatever, but like you've earned this. <laughs> you've been through yeah. shit. <laughs> and you And like- Cotton's look to Sydney is different than Sydney's look to Cotton. I like Sydney doesn't like smile at him, but she's like Sydney's Sydney's look is like we're square. <laughs> like, just, or even just, now. I owe you nothing. <laughs> Never talk to me again. Yeah. Don't come. And we get like 10 seconds. I think this movie wraps up in even more of a hurry than Scream One. We kind of Pretty see quick. the Dewey's not dead. Yeah. Which is bonkers. Because it hits scar tissue. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, well, I did it. And the camera pans out. And then it's like directed by Wes Craven. And, and like, beautiful. it college. didn't bother me in Scream 1, but for some reason it felt a little too rushed in this one. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I, 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 I could see that because I, I, I think the only benefit that this one has is the... We get, we get two things. We get the cotton bit with the press, mm-hmm. which I think is like more than we get in the first movie. Sure. And yeah. we get that moment, which is like probably my favorite moment of the ending, which is Gail starting to do her thing, seeing Dewey and just handing the mic away yeah. and going and being like, I know I care about this person. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit about change. any of this anymore. Like I care about him and he's alive and oh my God. She gets um, into the hospital truck with him. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I love, you know. and I also love they, they described uh, how they did all of that. And it was all in ADR with him, uh, David Arquette with a cup over his face <laughs> in the studio, just saying like oh. weird drugged up 
like things. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so fine. when she's like, I'm coming with you, he's like, There's no room. Like, <laughs> like just I love I love all of that. I think that's really great. Yeah. No, Gail um, and Dewey five ever. Yeah. Yeah. Forever. Yeah, for so sure. Super fun ride. I, I guess really what hit me about that ending is because like yeah, like I, I, I really liked what you said. I think it really just hit me that this one wasn't really about anything. In the same way that it touches on really cool stuff, right? That like I've been talking about, right? But by the end of it, I was like, oh, this was kind of like just a fun ride. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, the thematics of it don't hold together the way that the first one does, and and yeah, and I think that's a result of like thematics are something that you get <laughs> when you get to write multiple drafts of a screenplay, yeah. and that was not the case. Not here. as you go. This, this, yeah, this out was of order. out of order, fly by the seat of your pants, and somehow this is... Sticks the landing. It, this resembles a, a real movie, somehow. <laughs> like, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Like, I love that, I love that you can... I love that you can still, even though this was like such a crazy, you can still go and like, oh, that's Mrs. Loomis, that's Mickey, yep. and it still holds up. It's, yep. It still holds up to scrutiny. Right, yeah. right. Super so. entertaining, great movie. Yeah, yep. really, really great sequel. Really, really great sequel. Probably one of the better horror sequels. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. The, uh, the drop-off in quality on most other franchises is huge. Huge and instantaneous. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. The fact that we're even talking about like, well, you know, this is stronger. This isn't as strong. Right. It, it isn't usually the conversation to like these, these big, especially a year after the last installment. Right. Right. Less yeah. than a year. Less than a year. Yeah. Right. Crazy. Oh. So hats off to the filmmakers. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Scream was out of theaters only for like six months, I think, between installments. Yeah, wow. just yeah. to yeah, just to give you an idea of like the usual drop off in quality. Uh, Halloween, the first one, critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes like ninety six. Second one, thirty six. Yeah, or thirty two. Yeah, I've never seen thirty two. Never seen Halloween two. Uh, you don't need to. You don't. Yeah. You really don't. <laughs> just yeah. skip to three. Yeah. <laughs> so Chris, uh, closing thoughts on 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 Scream Two and the franchise in general while, while you're on the show. Uh, well, as I've been uh, going back through, like I just did three uh, the other day. Uh, right now, two is still my favorite, and uh, I think uh, I'll be watching four uh, at some point before you record that. I'm excited to see what happens there, um, and then yeah, man, this is this is just like sort of the best version of guy with a knife trying to kill uh, attractive people uh you know that, sure. that that's been done and and a big part of that is just how much it talks about those dumb dumb movies yeah with like affection and just the right amount of like meanness yeah <laughs> cuz they deserve it <laughs> <laughs> well lots to talk about next week with scream 3 uh, but Chris, where can people find you? Well, people can find me on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute. Uh, eventually, uh, we got uh, the third movie coming out um, soon. And then we've got the first two movies covered. And uh, we've had some specials on there. A lot of fun stuff. And then you can also find me on the uh, True Believers podcast, where we talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe one movie at a time. It's like a big version of franchiseology about just one franchise for Forever. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
yeah. will never you've been, stop. Uh, you, you've, been, you've been covering the Marvel Plus shows, the Disney yes, Plus Marvel the Disney, shows. the Disney right. Plus shows, uh, and uh, we'll figure out some stuff to cover for our Patreons that are not strictly speaking in the MCU itself, or not even remotely in the MCU itself. Uh, but yeah, because of the Disney Plus shows, I, I, I get to take no breaks on recording, basically. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't thinking of you. No, those jerks. I love them. Uh, well, it's uh, great having you on show, Chris. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, everyone, uh, thanks so much for listening uh, to this this episode of Franchiseography. And uh, make sure, if you haven't already, sign up for our uh, Patreon, duelinggenre.com slash support. There is still a chance, if we get <laughs> to the end of this miniseries, if we cross 100 and we do, we get the Franchiseography extracurricular, uh, bonus show. We will cover Cursed in this miniseries um, because I think it's an important part of the story, and I really want to cover it. I'm gonna, I'm huh. gonna be, I'm gonna be uh, uh, hammering this drum a lot. Um, so I want to cover Cursed, but the only way we're gonna do that is if we unlock that bonus show with 100 patrons. That's duelinggenre.com/support. As of this recording, we are only 16 patrons away. That's not a lot. Guys, that's really not a lot. We can we can do this. Uh, so so join the the Patreon. Uh, you'll get Dueling Genre tonight, which is an an entertainment show that I host um, or or swap hosting duties with uh, with with Benny Bennett, who will eventually make his way to this show. Um, I think in our next mini series, we have Dueling Genre Versus, which is uh, a rewatch show of of, of various uh, TV shows and movies, and uh, all of the other content. Over three hundred episodes of podcast material on that Patreon feed that you would gain access to immediately. So uh, check that out. It's duelinggenre.com slash support. We appreciate everyone who's already doing that. Uh, thank you so much. And of course, share your screen franchise memories with us. Franchiseography at duelinggenre.com. That will be in our between episode between uh, Scream 4 and the first X-Men film. We will be doing a between us another between episode where Nick and I will be nominating new films uh, to be voted for on our Twitter. So make sure you're following us there as well at Franchiseography. But send those scream memories, those scream questions, scremeries, the scremeries exactly. Franchiseography at duelinggenre.com. Uh, we appreciate everyone who listens to the show. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you next week with Scream Three. Bye bye. Bye. Excelsior. Ah!